and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 70. I'm Nick Dixon here with non-Epstein Island visitor Toby Young. Coming up, Carl Borgneo gets a big win against Woke Tyranny. The post office scandal continues to unfold and Sunak makes an election announcement plus loads more. And of course, peak Woke. But Toby, we might get into the Epstein thing later. Of course, you were nothing to do with it, but there's been a few more revelations. That's what that intro referred to. I think probably first we should address my... um weird mental health announcement last week because I've had so many messages about it and I have to thank everyone for your amazing supportive messages and frankly your cash donations <laughs> which help as well though they, they all go on to health checks so it all balances out <laughs> they all go on me like scanning various things so um so I had a weird one because I, I was so miserable over Christmas and I was so depressed and I just like announced it in my kind of weird autistic truth-telling style where I just say the truth which is sort of a good thing about this podcast but also perhaps it was a bit odd but but it meant that people reached out and I I, I thank everyone um and I was in the middle of I was on the sort of verge of a health anxiety spaz out and and then that got far worse over the next few days so I went from depression to health anxiety and then I, I wish for depression because it's actually better than the horrors of health anxiety I didn't sleep for four nights still had to do all my tv appearances and podcasts and then I got went to this health check and inevitably it was fine. But it was me thinking I had skin cancer again, which I have actually had once. So there's that element of plausibility. But um, I was just in a in a funk and, um, and I'm not feeling a lot better now. Even after I got the all clear, I still then gave myself one day of feeling okay. Then the next day started thinking, oh, what's that weird pain? And the cycle started again. So it, it's becoming more and more ridiculous. So I've got to obviously get that sorted again. I did go to quite a lot of therapy about this health anxiety it obviously hasn't worked or maybe it only works if you constantly go so I have to now I've got into this mental health rabbit hole obviously it's you know it could be seen as woke and gay to talk about mental health but I've I've gone down I've gone that down that route now so I just want to thank everyone and particularly thanks to um Jane who wrote a a, a very nice letter which maybe I'll we'll look at in the end section with the review the reviews because some of the reviews have mentioned it as well I particularly want to thank Jeff who bought 40 coffees. Can you believe it? And uh, someone in Sydney who didn't give a name, who bought 20. Thank you very much. Richard bought 20 and Gareth 15. I also want to thank Simon and Judy. They're just some people I want to thank because it was so great and I really appreciate it. And I feel a lot better this week. And I just wanted to flag that at the start in case everyone was worried. You know, obviously I've had lifelong problems with, with these, with melancholy and the hypos as Melville calls it on the first page of Moby Dick. But then I've also got this health anxiety thing, which since about 2016 has become really, really bad. It just reached life-ruining levels, which I am addressing. And that's it, really. And I just, for some reason, last week was feeling so bad, I just had to mention it at the start of the show. Uh, any any comments, Toby? Well, um, I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, and it's nice that um, so many listeners um, were genuinely concerned and have reached out to you in various ways. Um wanted to check just one thing though you said that um it wasn't completely irrational for you to worry about um a mole or something similar being cancerous because you have had skin cancer before have you actually had skin cancer or have you just had something like a mole removed which was described at the time as precancerous so i had a, a basal cell carcinoma which some people don't count I found out later, but 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 is is a, is is technically a cancer. Yeah, it's not okay. If it, it doesn't, in some cases they spread. In most cases they don't, so they're considered not a big deal. And in Australia, most people have had about five of them, so they just would think I'm a, a total pansy. 
Hugh, Hugh Jackman's had several. There's a lady right. at work from, okay. from Australia who's had who's had a, a few of them, and they're quite common. But the problem with it was, I had two friends when I was young die of cancer quite suddenly. Uh, you know, young people. One was eight, one was twenty, and so that I think what happened is I just told myself that just obviously freaks me out a lot and was incredibly miserable and disturbing. But then I um, sort of weirdly told myself I couldn't get it. And what happened was in 2016, when I then had this skin cancer, even though it was mild, just him saying the word, sort of it sort of shattered this weird mental defense I'd built up where I was like, well, it's okay. maybe I get a heart attack or something, but I won't get that because that's my biggest fear. And so I just told myself I would never get it. So when he said I actually did have a type of cancer, it kind of ruined, it blew apart this weird sort of magical thinking I'd set up. And then after that, everything I got, I just thought was cancer. So this was, so this has been the problem, and it, it's very hard to get out of when you're in it. Funny thing about his health anxiety. I know it sounds like a woke podcast talking about this stuff, but um, but um, it's formally called hypochondria, a more poetic name. Um, it's the same for everyone who has it. Anyone who doesn't have it goes like, "What are you on about?" And they they might be sympathetic or they might not, but they struggle to understand it. Anyone who's had it, and quite normal people. I've had it. I, I'll speak to quite normal people at work, and suddenly it turns out they've had this, and I, and, I, and the last people you would have thought, and the symptoms are exactly the same. You you go into this panic. You think you have it. You you can't really be convinced otherwise because it's the body's reacting. You go into like a fight or flight mode. So I couldn't really sleep for four days, and then you wake up with like an extreme fear, like in your gut, before you're even even having the rational thought about it, or, or you know you're you're not even thinking about the thing. The the fear kicks in in advance, and it, it just becomes a kind of cycle. And I hear about other people's and they think their heart's going to stop or explode or something. And I think they sound mental because mine is more plausible stuff. It's, it's often not that plausible, it, various degrees of plausibility, but always within the realm of it's never like my heart's going to explode. So that some of the, some other people have different you know, symptoms or different, you know, it has a different flavor to it, but, but it's just a horrible thing. And, and I have, and someone said to me, you know, it can easily be solved with CBT in it. Well, I went for extensive, CBT based therapy on it. it has not worked for me I stopped going and it's that question do I need to go back or does, it, does that mean it didn't work because the techniques haven't worked or does that mean it did work but you need to just constantly go like like Alcoholics Anonymous or something I don't know anyways that's a very long answer to your question Jeff. yeah and I think you need to I think with CBT you need to stick with it for probably longer than you did but I don't think you need to carry on doing it and seeing a CBT therapist forever um, probably I do I, though I'm a special I, case I think I, I think I think I think I think it's probably people kind of catastrophizing about their health and imagining um, that, you know, um, some minor complaint is much more serious than it really is. I think that's probably pretty common. I mean, I, I do that too. And my wife calls me a hypochondriac, but um, I sort of snap out of it usually quite quickly without needing to get, you know, a clinical diagnosis or see a doctor. Um, though recently, Nick, um, I, I can imagine- degrees, isn't it? It's a question of degree. Um, but I recently had um, a health check, you know, because I turned 60 and I thought now is the time to do that. And um, my cholesterol was tested and I had quite elevated bad cholesterol. And the way they try and convey to you how serious that is and how important it is to address it is they give you a percentage chance of having um, a heart attack or a stroke in the next 10 years. And my percentage was 10% which I thought was pretty high. Um, and uh, uh, and they recommended a course of statins to bring down the elevated bad cholesterol to reduce the likelihood of me having a stroke or a heart attack in the next 10 years. 
I went to my NHS doctor and said, can you prescribe some statins? So, well, we'll have to do all the bloods again because, you know, you did this done privately. So we can't accept that data. We have to see it for ourselves if we're going to prescribe statins. So I did all the tests again. And this time the um, risk was only 9%, not 10%. And that was below the NHS kind of prescription threshold. So we can't prescribe statins because you've only got a 9% chance having a heart attack or a stroke in the next. I was like, but that's really quite high, isn't it? Isn't that high enough? That's ridiculous. You know, uh, I'm happy to pay, say that they'll get very antagonized and do even less to help you. Um, And eventually I did manage to persuade them. Well, we are going to do a separate spin-off health podcast, but that um, (laughs) I've got to address a few things there. Because it reminds me of so many things. Well, one is I've, I've had a slightly elevated blood pressure for ages. I don't even check it anymore is my way of dealing with it. And by the way, what's so interesting about that, and I say interesting very loosely, is um, when you have health anxiety, I could easily, because I've had actually do have slightly high blood pressure, and I go and play football, I could be worrying about having a heart attack on the football field tonight. Sometimes my heart rate hits ludicrously high levels, like 190 or something. I've got elevated blood pressure. But I don't have the magical fear of those because this, this cancer right. fear has a kind of, it, you know, it has a kind of um, mental health, what's the word? It kind of, um, you know, it has a dysfunctional kind of element to it. But though I can't, if I hear about someone in the papers with a heart attack, I go, yeah, whatever. But if I hear if they have like a certain cancer, I memorize and go, oh, the guy from Thingy got this type of cancer. And I, then I get terrified for about half an hour that I could have it. You know, it's kind of insane. So, but let's, so, so I've actually had that. But th- the point is I've done loads of research into, um, blood pressure medication because of it. What I found in the end was that it's not actually as good as natural methods, everything I read up. You know, there's, there's several things with blood pressure is you had blood... Oh, no, it's cholesterol you had, not blood pressure. Yeah, okay. no, blood pressure's that, fine. Oh, that's a bit different. Okay, blood pressure, the, the, the statins aren't necessarily any better than weight loss, reduced stress, Mediterranean diet, but reduced sodium. But but you're talking about cholesterol. But, but when they say yeah. 10%, that's a 90% chance of being fine, isn't it? Which sounds a lot better. Because I once got I some blood so, results yeah. <laughs> and it said 95, I think it was 95% chance or 99, was it 95 of just, uh, it, my chance of heart attack was, it was something like 5% or something. It was so lower, but it was so low. I thought, well, I, even I'm not going to worry about that. So if, mm, so for someone who's okay. 60, who works ridiculously hard and drinks a lot, 90% is actually pretty good, isn't it? Well, but your chances of getting these various types of cancer you're concerned about are much lower than that, I would have thought. You just I need to checked. look at the stats. I <laughs> yeah, need to, I need to see the stats, but I'd be so terrified looking at them. Someone needs to give me some pre-screened, nice-sounding stats. <laughs> I know this is a weird thing, Toby, but I don't. This is a weird thing about health anxiety. I don't have it attached to these things, you know, so I can talk about them. It's really weird because I, I was mm. briefly worried about blood pressure when it was a little high, but now I'm not. And this cancer, that's why I think this cancer thing with me is, is also tied to these traumas from childhood, from my friends dying. I think it's not as simple as health anxiety but it's, so it's not just mm. why cbt hasn't really worked but anyway so i don't know are you i don't know what's your conclusion then are you just are you taking anything or i'm, t- I'm taking the statins um to reduce my bad cholesterol and um i guess i'm going to check back in a few months see whether it's worked i don't totally believe in them but my dad's now taking stuff like that because he suddenly had ridiculously like dangerously high blood pressure twice but i'm blaming the vaccine for that because he took the astrazeneca vaccine and just with no you know, obviously no knowledge or I'm just blaming the vaccine for that. But it could also be that high blood pressure. What I probably should be worried about is high blood pressure that runs in my family. But because I don't have the health anxiety attached to that. Isn't that strange? It's just the way it works. It just mm. attaches to certain, for different people, it's different things. Anyway, I think that's probably enough on that. That's probably um, enough on our, we get our into personal that? health. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's not for everyone that bit of the show. Some of our more yeah. like esteemed fans are probably listening. Like we've got serious politicians listening to this show. Going, what are they on about? This used to be a political <laughs> podcast. Now Nick's just driven it into some narcissistic nosedive. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Next let's... week, get special guest, uh, uh, the Duke of York. Yeah, <laughs> Suff- Suffolk, Ho- rather. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, um, yeah. people will bear with us throughout that time, and um, that we just. Or you can always skip that bit. We're going to do ten minutes at a start on health every week. New section, health freakout. Um, all right. Well, let's kick off with our first big story then, which is Carl Borgneil, as I'm reliably informed, it's pronounced. I thought it was Borgneil, and. He won a huge win, very much thanks to Toby and the Free Speech Union. And if you didn't follow the story, he said the N-word at a racial... Toby can fill in the details, but some... I'll do my version. Some racial bollocks meeting at Lloyd's where they were told it was a safe space, guys. Say anything you want. This is about race and how you deal with questions of race. So he said, okay, let me ask you this. If someone was using the N-word... Uh, what would I do if it was, let's say, two black people using it, talking to each other? And it was a question about intent versus effect. But because he has this dyslexia and he struggles to process things sometimes, sometimes it helps him to phrase it in a certain way or reframe the question. And because of his technique he does to get around his dyslexia, he actually said the word itself, sort of blurted it. And the person leading this course freaked out so much, she berated him, tried said he would be kicked out of the course, humiliated him. And then said she had to take a week off work because she was so distressed. Absolutely absurd and totally obscene. But what the great thing is, he's won and Toby will fill in the actual actual amount. In the Telegraph, it said £500,000, but I believe it's actually more than that. He's won a huge payout. And what is so great about, about this to me, and I said this on GB News, it's great for Carl personally because he suffered all sorts of physical and mental distress. But it's also great that there's finally a cost to just calling someone a racist. You know, he lost his job. It, just destroying someone, I think he lost his job, didn't he? Just destroying someone off the back of something like this, calling someone a racist. You don't just get to do that anymore without some pushback. At least you don't if the Free Speech Union are involved. Toby, fill us in on the details. Yeah, so that that was reasonably accurate, the summary of what had happened. <laughs> um, but um, he, he was in this um, diversity training workshop. It was the first time he'd done it. It was during the pandemic. It was all online, so it was 2021. And um, as you say, the trainer said at the beginning, you know, um, don't be concerned about asking clumsy questions. This is your opportunity to speak freely, to say what you really think. Um, And so he was quite relieved by that because, as you say, he's dyslexic and has a tendency to blurt things out without processing them them properly. Anyway, um, he asked a question um, uh, in this section about, as you say, intent versus effect. Um, about um, whether he should reprimand, he's a, he's a, he was a line manager at Lloyd. Whether he should reprimand one of his uh, one of the black colleagues he's line managing if they use a racial epithet when talking to another black colleague, you know, it would clearly be inappropriate for a white person when talking to a black colleague to use that word. But what if it's two black colleagues talking to each other? A perfectly legitimate question. And what if it's um, banter? Uh, and Just he, he'd asked it in all innocence. Um, and um, uh, she then professed not to understand the question. So to make it more explicit, he said, well, you know, if one black person calls another black person the N-word, but he didn't say the N-word, he used the N-word. Um, and uh, instead of answering the question, she completely freaked out, told him to shut up, couldn't contribute anymore. And then afterwards uh, complained uh, to her employer. She wasn't employed by Lloyd's. She worked for this company that was 
you know, um, subcontracted by Lloyd's to carry out this work, and uh, and then took five days off because she was so traumatized about having heard the word. She was herself black, and um, Lloyd's mounted an investigation into Carl, and six months later fired him for gross misconduct. And he initially represented himself as a litigant in person. He was a member of the Free Speech Union, so he reached out to us. We found him this really good firm of employment specialists, solicitors called Doyle Clayton and this solicitor called Emma Hamnett, who worked on the case. She found him a really good barrister and um, various members of the FSU's legal team worked on it, particularly Caroline Chelly, who's our legal counsel. And um, eventually, when the case concluded, first of all, he won the hearing. He won the employment tribunal panel, found that he'd been unfairly dismissed and discriminated against on the basis of his disability, dyslexia. Um, and then during the remedy hearing, they decided to award him, as you say, um, upwards of £800,000 when you take everything into account and it's all been grossed up. Uh, but in addition, um, the uh, Employment Tribunal panel said that um, uh, Lloyd's had to circulate the judgment to the Lloyd's board and tell them to read it and take time to digest it, which is not great for the you know the HR department. Uh, but in addition, uh, Lloyd's has to report itself to the Financial Conduct Authority. So the Employment Tribunal panel ordered Lloyd's to report itself to the FCA for uh, unfairly dismissing Carl and for discriminating against him on the basis of his disability. So great result. And as you say, we hope it'll mean that companies like Lloyd's in future will be a little less trigger happy when it comes to branding people racists and dismissing them for gross misconduct. Uh, and Carl's a lovely guy. And um, the most important thing for him was to clear his name. And he has now cleared his name. Um, but he's also you know, going to be comfortable um, in spite of the fact that uh, he's lost his job and will find it difficult at his age. I think he's 57 to find another comparable job in financial services. So a fantastic result. Um, and we were really delighted, particularly delighted for Carl. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll make a difference. When you say it was reasonably accurate, I'm struggling to see anything I got wrong there. I maybe didn't Include well, it was it was the, you 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 missed out the kind of two parts to um, his exchange with the um, diversity trainer, and it wasn't that he uh, it, it was it was when she he felt under pressure when she asked him what he meant um, and and professed not to understand his question, and that's when he blurted out the n word without sort of processing properly how that mm. was likely to um, go down in the in the group that he was participating in, although. You know, over 100 senior Lloyd's managers were participating on this course and none of them complained. Some of them were, you know, black. None of them complained um, about his use of the N-word. It was only the trainer that complained. Pretty sure that's what I said, but maybe some autistic listeners will be able to discern a difference between my my terrible account and Toby's identical account. Um, but what I love about Carl is he said... Um, when I set out on this legal claim, I said to my mom, if I have to sell my house, I don't care because this is about clearing my name. Lloyds were calling me racist and that is certainly something I'm not and something I've never been. And I just, I, I respect his, his mission, his dedication to clear his name and to do something for the sake of the truth, which is not easy. Uh, you know, it could have been easier for him to just let it go away. But it's like, no, this company is calling me a racist. Screw them. And I, I really love that. And I love that you can't get away with this stuff as easily anymore just labeling someone racist you know there was this uh white middle i think he also said white middle-aged men are bottom of everything these days and isn't that just true i mean mm. he said i feel very discriminated against 
I often wonder if it wasn't a white middle-aged male, if I wasn't, sorry, would I have had to go through everything I went through? There's no way of telling. When I talk to my friends, and as you can imagine, a good many are white middle-aged male, we all agree this is the worst thing you can be right now. You are bottom of everything. And of course, that's true. And someone actually, when we did a clip about it on Headliners, someone responded initially saying, GB News platforming sexist and racist and with like clown emojis. Then someone said, have you watched the clip? And then they're doing nothing of the sort. He goes, I've now watched the clip and you're right. But still the idea that that, that straight white men are in any way can suffer racism is, is ludicrous or, and, and sinister. I was like, this is the problem. We still have these kind of scabs, these these white straight white men who who constantly go around going, oh, we're, it's fine for us. We're still privileged. No one's oppressing us. It's like, F you, because we're all, you can discriminate openly against straight white men in any job description. We've seen it with the BBC, Channel 4, the police actually got sued for it, Cheshire Police. And that's just the reality now. And if you deny it, you're just a sap and a, you should, it's pathetic. So, but but there is a little bit of pushback now. And, and Carl Borgneal is one example. The fact they behave like that is typical of the way people behave. But the fact that they might be a little bit scared now because of losing 800 grand mm-hmm. if they do it. Yeah, well, and it I, will have cost. It will have cost Lloyd's o- over a million, we think, if you factor right. in their own legal expenses. Um, so, yeah, hopefully uh, that'll give them pause for thought before they do anything like this again. I mean, one of the points the Employment Tribunal made was when deciding whether to punish someone and how severely to punish someone for breaching a workplace speech code, you've got to take the context in which they use the forbidden word into account. And Lloyd said, "No, we have a zero tolerance." policy when it comes to the use of the n-word so it doesn't matter that he was quoting an imaginary person in a hypothetical situation we have no tolerance however reasonable he was being however innocently he asked the question zero tolerance so we were justified in firing him and the employment tribunal happily disagreed and by the way of course he didn't have to sell his house to clear his name because he was a member of the free speech union so we underwrote his legal expenses we basically picked up his legal bills and we said if you lose you don't have to pay us back. But if you win and you get a decent award, pay us back. And he has got a decent award, so now he's going to pay us back. But that's just Very one fair. of the ways in which the FSU can help you if you're a member. And uh, it makes the membership fees really extremely reasonable. So to join as a full-time member, it's less than 60 quid. If you're an OAP, a veteran, a student, it's less than 30 quid. And anyone who wants to join should go to www.freespeechunion.org join. Nice. So if you are thinking about using the N-word in your office, join now. <laughs> Make sure you get the cash. <laughs> you won't have to pay for your legal fees. That's quite good, actually. If I if I want to suddenly spray the N-word around on this podcast, I should join the FSU now. And then so I'm covered if I call you the N-word. I think I'm yeah, part of the advisory is- board, so maybe I'm already part of it. <laughs> Or do I have to be I a member as well? It probably would help you. I mean, there is, there is, what you're highlighting there is there is a degree of moral hazard. So, you know, <laughs> we try to discourage people who think that, that, to join the free speech union so they can then be protected when they do spray around the N-word. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't in all circumstances, I don't think, come to people's defence. They did get into trouble for using the N-word. I'm not sure we would have come to Carl's defence if he'd been fired for calling a black colleague the N-word in the course of an argument. <laughs> so, you know. They just pull out their FSU card. I think you're fine. I'm covered. It's like a Simpsons sketch or something. It's like, what is that? It's just a piece of paper. You're going to jail. You're like, ah, oh, damn it. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just my, the way my mind thought of it. What, get in now. Um, no, doing great work, though, and it's, it's amazing. And um, what a great win. But it does make me think, though, it's not that simple because although – 
the tide is starting to turn on this white men thing. Still, so many institutions and companies are behind. My feeling, my theory is that they're behind public feeling. So now we see a, a piece, which I'll just do off the back of this, which is from The Telegraph last night as we record, Channel 4 and diversity row over white bosses. And this was Sir Ian Cheshire, chairman of Channel 4, has, has talked about um, Lucy Fraser, culture secretary, has approved the appointment of five new non-executive directors to join the broadcaster's board, four of whom are white. <gasps> four of whom are white. And so Sir Ian Cheshire, the chairman, has said these appointments will improve representation on the board, but do not yet meet the levels of representation throughout the rest of the organization. He's, he, and he goes on about how we need more progress. He says further progress is needed. And basically he says there's there's white men and that's and it's bad and it's, and it's a big problem. And... Um, and this is a, a, percent, a, a target of 20% they're aiming for of ethnic minorities, even though there's only 18% in the general population. So for some reason, they want them to be overrepresented. But I just think everyone's getting so sick of this, this overt racism against white men, which is what it is, and this bizarre equity mission, as opposed to equality of opportunity, which no one had a problem with, which was meritocracy, which was working perfectly fine. But now it has to be equity. And I just think this is yet another example of... of these companies being behind. And this city in Cheshire guy, he was born in Malaysia, but he seems to be the whitest guy. I mean, he looks completely white. His name is Cheshire. It's quite a white place, isn't it? And um, as far as I can tell, he probably was just born in Malaysia because his dad was posh. That's what it normally is. They're there for some diplomatic thing or finance. And if I'm wrong, then please don't sue me because that's just a guess. But he definitely seems white to me. So again, does, does he want to resign? I mean, I'm sick of this garbage, Toby. What do you think? Yeah, this was a strange one, Nick, because um, the chairman of Channel 4, Ian Cheshire, I would have thought would have almost certainly been involved in the appointment of these new directors. I mean, yes, it's in the gift of um, the culture secretary and the government, ultimately. Uh, but whenever I've been, well, I was appointed to um, the Office for Students in 2018, and as part of the interview process, I was interviewed by the chairman of the Office for Students. I recently applied for another uh, similar position and um, didn't didn't get appointed. But one of the people who was on the panel that interviewed me, the last stage of the process, was the chairman of the organisation concerned. So I don't see how Ian can justifiably blame the government for appointing these white directors when he must have been involved in the uh, entire process <laughs> i do have an answer for that he says here appointments to the board are not ultimately in our control due to procedural reasons but we are committed to continuing to push for further progress so what are the well, procedural reasons it, it, it may not be entirely in their control but i'm sure they play a part in it um yeah uh, so it's it's it, that progress. sounds like a, a, a weasley way of trying to um, renounce any responsibility um, and at the same time get away so he can sort of, you know, virtue signal about this. Um, but it, yeah, it's a bizarre thing to say. I mean, is he saying it's it, it's deeply regrettable that the government have appointed the best qualified candidates and didn't overlook one of them and appoint an inferior candidate because of the colour of his skin? Yeah. I mean, it's ludicrous, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, United Airlines are doing it as well. I saw there was that piece just resurfaced. It's actually from 2021 about they want, you know, certain targets of people of colour and women and stuff. Basically, it's not safe to fly anymore is what I'm saying because they're not going to get the best person in the air. They're not going to get the best person at Channel 4 or anywhere because of this equity madness. I'm sick of it. With this guy saying progress, when I hear progress there, I just hear you mean 
discrimination against white men. That's all you mean, isn't it? Uh, that is that is that does seem to be what uh, Ian Cheshire means. Um, even though he is himself a white man, I mean it's it's always you know white men, isn't it, who kind of uh, uh, denounce the kind of whiteness of these various companies, of which Scabs. they are often chairs or <laughs> chief executive officers. Or, I mean, it's it it is it it it's it's become Nick. I mean, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but but engaging in this kind of ritualized, meaningless racial self-flagellation is become a kind of uh it's become a, a sort of way of signaling that you are a member of the brahmin elite um you don't actually it's, it's not virtue signaling although it is virtue signaling so much as status signaling it's a way for ian cheshire to convey that he is a member of this elite ruling class he cares supposedly about uh, diversity and inclusion he's concerned about it he's worried about it uh, because being concerned and worried about those things is a hallmark of being a member of the kind of Brahmin class. So that's what it's about. It's about status signaling, not about yeah. actually improving things for disadvantaged groups. Whereas if you're a member of the autistic white men class, all you care about is the truth and justice. And I'm not yes. and I'm not saying Carl Borge Neal is autistic, but I see him as a sort of honorary member with his dyslexia. And later I have a peak woke <laughs> about an autistic kid who also got in trouble at Weatherspoon. So yeah. It's interesting you should you should bring that up because someone contacted the Free Speech Union recently to say they keep seeing these notices in places like Greg's, Santander, uh, saying, you know, we will not tolerate inappropriate behaviour. Um, uh, uh, you know, zero tolerance of inappropriate behaviour. And you know, if you're if you're autistic, if you're neurodiverse, um, uh, you you have difficulty knowing what kind of behaviour is appropriate and what's inappropriate. So it's effectively saying to people, if you're neurodiverse, don't enter these premises, because if you have if you struggle to understand what is appropriate and inappropriate behaviour, then we, we we reserve the right to punish you. So isn't that in itself a form of discrimination? It's discriminating against the neurodiverse. It is, and I've got more on that later. And Pete, well, absolutely. So let's move on and do this second story then, which is the post office scandal, which I'm sure you've heard about, and particularly this latest update today that Paula Venels is going to hand back her CBE, which you don't see very often, with immediate effect, because she presided over the post office from 2012 to 2019, when the post office repeatedly denied there were problems with its IT. She said she's truly sorry for the devastation caused to the postal workers and their families. So that's very rare that you actually see a CBE handed back. What do you think to that, Toby? Yeah, that's it's interesting, as you say, extremely rare. Um, and I guess it's partly in response to this petition on 38 Degrees, uh, which was addressed to, I guess, the head of the forfeiture committee. So you may not know this, Nick, but there is actually a committee, I think, of the Cabinet Office, um, which uh, looks at whether some people should forfeit their honours. And so this petition was addressed to the head of the forfeiture committee. Um, and um, she's decided to fall on her sword before the forfeiture committee actually considers her case. It may be that someone in the government called her up and said, you know, uh, we think you should probably um, relinquish this honour um, because this petition is just going to grow and grow and it's in your best interest to do so because it's not great PR for you. You know, she's also... Um, a vicar in the Church of England. Um, so I guess um, I, didn't know I, I don't think I don't. Yes, if you watch the four-part dramatization, there is a scene in which she's actually preaching 
um, in a in a, in an Anglican church uh, because she was she was a lay vicar, um, and uh, I wonder if she's still practicing. In which case, I suppose the the next um, campaign could be to try and get her defrocked, but I don't think she is. Um, but I think I think what she's done is quite sensible. Um, uh, I think the clamour for her to relinquish her honour would have just got louder and louder had she not done so. It's a it's a scandalous story, isn't it? So you haven't watched the uh, ITV dramatisation? No, I haven't got around to watching that yet. It, it's I first heard about it when Andrew Bridgen raised it, and people just seem to ignore him, and. Um, and obviously it's been going on for years, but some people are annoyed who are involved with it that it's taken that ITV drama for people to actually take it seriously. But have you watched it? Yeah, I've watched it. It's really good. Um, it is interesting, isn't it? Um, people have said, you know, journalists have been asleep at the wheel. And, you know, in previous eras where there was more investigative journalism and journalists were, you know, willing to take on the establishment and the government and these great big nationalised industries, um, this would have been exposed far sooner. But actually, um, there's been no shortage of coverage of this scandal. Um, as you say, it's been raised in Parliament a number of times. Um, Panorama did a special on it. Private Eye writes about it virtually every fortnight. Um, uh, and there have been pieces in The Observer and The Guardian and The Times about it, um, as well as in some of the tabloids. So there's been no shortage of coverage, but this TV drama has really brought it all to the boil. And I think uh, that's partly because you know television drama can still have an effect and draw things to public attention uh, in a way that straightforward journalism can't. Uh, but in addition, I think they got to give some kudos to the ITV schedulers uh, because scheduling scheduling these four episodes on Jan 1st, 2nd, 3rd and 4th was a stroke of genius because the first week of January is always an incredibly slow news week. Um, uh, that's why, you know, um, my, my cancellation story, beginning of... January 2018 got such a ridiculous amount of coverage because there's just nothing else going on that week. So I know that this is a Don't be so humble, Toby. <laughs> that, that would have got coverage at any time, I believe. Well, I'm not sure. People would have um, loved to but, see you uh, taken down any time of year. Anyway, this this ITV drama is incredibly well-timed and it really has been dominating the news and it looks as though you know, um, these sub postmasters who still haven't had their convictions overturned. So, you know, over, I think something like 700 plus uh, were convicted. Some of them went to jail. Um, some of those convictions have been overturned on appeal, but um, I think 600 plus still haven't. And now the government is going to expedite that process to get them um, uh, voided um, as soon as it can. And it's going to try and get the public inquiry to get a move on and start paying even more compensation to the victims of this scandal. It's, it's, if you're a Tory, it's, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's a great scandal compared to most, most scandals involving, you know, the government and, um, uh, uh, various departments of state, um, uh, uh, are often extremely embarrassing for the Tories, not least because they've been in power more or less for the last 14 years. But this is a scandal that predates, uh, it goes back to, uh, it, it, you know, I think the, the the Horizon system was first rolled out in the post office in 1999 under New Labour. Um, and uh, uh, and and the, the, the politicians who... Alan Bates, that the show's called Alan Bates versus the Post Office, and he's this kind of ordinary guy who's been transformed into an extraordinary campaigner by this scandal. He was himself a sub-postmaster who lost his livelihood and his life savings because he was falsely accused of theft and 
fraudulent accounting. Anyway, he's led this campaign, um, and he, he incidentally has been offered an honour but refused to take it until Paula, Paula Venels relinquished hers, even more pressure on her, so now hopefully he can take up his honour. Um, but um, uh, he wrote to, uh, w- when there was a change of government, I mean, it was getting no traction you know, under New Labour, but when there was a change of government, he wrote to the new kind of postal minister, who happened to be Ed Davey, um, a Lib Dem, and the department that was responsible for, you know, doing so little about this, not really addressing the scandal, refusing to meet with Alan Bates and the other sub-postmasters. It was run by Vince Cable and Ed Davies' successor was another Lib Dem. So even though there was some, you know, uh, some blame to be cast on the government post-2010, the blame, it seems, rests with the Lib Dem members of the coalition government. So, you know, and it's really, it's a story about, you know, the hopelessness of IT procurement, which has long been, you know, a Tory bugbear, because this, of course, was a system procured by the government and rolled out in the post office in 99. Um, And, uh, you know, um, uh, the only the only politician, but two politicians emerge well out of the ITV drama. One is James Arbuthnot, a backbench MP, really took up the cudgels on behalf of the sub-postmasters. He had one in his constituency, but he emerges in a really heroic light in this uh, drama. And secondly, Nadim Zahawi, who cross-examined, I think he was head of select committee, and he cross-examined Paula Venels when she was still um, uh, CEO of the post office. Um, And he reenacted that. In the in the dramatization, he plays himself, kind of cross examining Paula Venels, and um, he was really aggressive, really good, really put her on the spot, embarrassed her, and uh, so those are the only two MPs to emerge with any credit from the whole scandal. Both of them Tories, um, and it's you know something that embarrasses Labour and embarrasses the Lib Dems, but incredibly, not really the Conservatives. Yeah, and I thought Sunak had really failed to make hay with that. And he's not necessarily the most politically astute, and I, I felt he missed an, an opportunity there. And then last night, as we record, he, he, there was a front-page story with Sunak saying, don't worry, we're on this, we're going to make this conversation happen, we're going to get on it. I think it's a, you know, it's a bit late, because he could have hammered Ed Davey, because yeah, Liberal Democrats are obviously threatening Tory seats everywhere, hammer Ed Davey as postal affairs minister, whatever it's called, as he was during that time, Hammer Labour because it started on the Labour. As you point out, the Tories come out well out of it for once. So he should have made more of it. Now it seems like he is starting to do that. I think he's maybe not made enough of it and done it a bit late. But yeah, just to add a few other details. Yeah, as you say, over 700 people uh, prosecuted. At least four took their own lives, including Martin Griffiths, who Griffiths, who was wrongly hounded over £100,000 of missing money. There's a shocking story. This woman, I don't think, didn't take her own life, but Seema Misra was was another one accused, and she was eight weeks pregnant and uh, with her second child when she was sentenced to 15 months behind bars after being wrongly accused of stealing 74000 from the post office. This is 2010. I mean, it's just unbelievable, some of this stuff, the more you read up on it. It's almost beyond belief. It almost, it almost says something in this story wide, about our wider society. I'm struggling to articulate, but I can have a go, which is it's just sort of... People just don't care anymore. It's a sort of computer says no, low trust society, isn't it? It's just no one cares about injustice except the free speech union and no one listens to anything. And incompetence is the norm. If you try and get anything fixed or anything done, you just get through a series of automated lines and incompetent people. And I just feel this is indicative of just where we are as a country. No one thought to compare all these things. No one thought to say, is there suddenly a trend in postmasters all being thieves, which is obviously ludicrous far more likely it was the technology there's also an over dependence on technology there's just a stupidity and 
and failure to to draw obvious conclusions. I just think it's kind of a very typical story of where we are as a, a kind of falling apart, technology dependent, low trust, low IQ culture. What do you think? Well, you might be giving too much benefit of the doubt to the upper echelons of the post office and senior executives at Fujitsu. Um, the kind of the the charge the TV drama almost makes doesn't quite make it explicitly is that senior members of the post office and senior executives at Fujitsu knew that the system was shonky, wasn't working properly. Uh, and they were remotely accessing terminals that they'd installed in post offices in order to correct the mistakes that they knew the system was making when it came to balancing the books, when it came to the filing of these accounts each week, the end of each week. Um, so the, 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 the really, the, what's really sinister about this is not that they were, too, they were placing too much faith in their own computer system. Um, or that they refused to believe the sub-postmasters and instead believed this malfunctioning technology because they thought it was all working perfectly and they had more trust in that than they did in the possibility of human, the human error or whatever. Uh, but 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 turns out, it hasn't turned out, but it's, it, it seems at least plausible, and I think the police are now seriously investigating this, that they actually knew the system wasn't working properly um, uh, and they knew that... Um, uh, Actually, in all likelihood, um, these sub-postmasters weren't stealing. They weren't submitting fraudulent accounts, that they were the victims of a malfunctioning computer system. But rather than admit that, particularly you can sort of imagine after they kind of prosecuted one or two, they couldn't then not prosecute the rest because if they were to admit that the first two had been falsely prosecuted, they'd then be very embarrassing for them. So they sort of dug themselves into a hole. Seemingly, that's what happened. Um, not saying definitively that's what happened, but that there seems to be a lot of the evidence seems to point in that direction, which is even worse than what you've described. Um, you know, it's it's real malfeasance and people should be going to jail, just not the people who, you know, have been prosecuted, not the sub-postmasters. What's really funny about that is I've gone Team Toby, I've gone incompetence, it's actually conspiracy. <laughs> so you've gone Team James. It's corruption, and uh, you're saying it's corruption. I'm, I was just thinking it was cock up. So I'm I've been the Toby there. I need well, to I think more it's cynical. Initially cock up, then cover up, um, and uh, they continue. So the post office can prosecute people. Um, uh, it doesn't have to be at the behest of the director of public prosecutions, which is why Keir Starmer isn't wholly implicated in this, although he is partly implicated, I think, because he was Director of Public Prosecutions during this period. Um, but um, it looks as though the post office may have decided to prosecute people because of this uh, this this unreliable evidence that they had stolen from the post office when they, they knew that the evidence that they had stolen was unreliable. And they continued to prosecute people in spite of knowing that uh, the case against them was pretty flimsy and it was likely to be computer error and not, you know, human error yeah great point about starmer by the way farage has been raising this why aren't we talking about keir starmer's role in this as director of public prosecutions he actually had the power to take over these private prosecutions or even say enough and end them and matthew stadlin replied to us farage and was doubting this but then i had to concede farage was right under section 6.2 of the prosecution of offenses act 1985 the director of public prosecutions has the power to take over private prosecutions so what was starmer up to was he just too busy kneeling, some memes are suggesting. But um, 
And the other big question there is is Fujitsu. And this was a story in the Daily Mail last night or today, perhaps. I'm not sure. Probably yesterday now. Um, and it was, why are they still getting Whitehall contracts? MPs demand Fujitsu is blocked from new deals. Has it shown they've been given 200 worth $6.7 billion over a decade, 200 public contracts? And David Davis, very much as you say, is, sort of, is waiting for the investigation, but saying, you know, it depends on how they respond. Whether, but certainly for now, there should be a freeze on giving them contracts. Lord, are both not more bold, saying, I can't understand why a company that behaves in such a devious way is still winning contracts. And I say he's right. There's no way Fujitsu should be getting any more contracts, basically, ever. And Japan would never accept this from us. Imagine if it was the other way around. Someone would have to probably disembowel themselves with a sword or something. You know, the, the amount of shame from this. You know, Japan wouldn't accept this kind of messing with, with their post office or whatever their equivalent they have, would they? Is that is that a cliche about Japan? I just think they're far too strict and stern and ordered a culture to accept this kind of nonsense. Someone would have to be well, slain. Yeah. Uh, and, and one wrinkle um, which hasn't uh, been brought out into the open yet is that um, the person who was um, managing director of Fujitsu's government division from 2005 to 2011 uh, during which period Fujitsu won a large computer software contract with the DWP and rolled out, I think, the largest desktop computer system at that time to be provided by a private company, rolled it out in the DWP in 2010. The person who oversaw um, the um, procurement of that contract, seemingly on Fujitsu's behalf, was Lady Burt who was the wife of John Burt, who I'm pretty sure uh, was um, working for Tony Blair uh, in Downing Street at that particular time. So that that particular angle hasn't been explored yet. See, new details. Where where else do you get this level of insight and detail, guys, mixed in with weird revelations about people's private mental health? You just don't get it on other podcasts. Yeah, and and there's a useful timeline here, actually, in this piece in in the mail and, and which reiterates something I already knew, but in 2010, Sir Ed Davey failed to reply to Mr. Bates. No, he replied to Mr. Bates, but failed to meet him. And I've seen that the screenshot of that email. Shocking. Yeah. And he blamed, of course, be, to, bad information. Uh, he said he was misled. He misled by his officials, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but, but, like, yeah, you don't have to do whatever. You don't have to be led by the nose by your officials. a pretty weak excuse. Um, but actually, I think he did meet with Alan Bates. There was a story going into more detail about the relationship between Alan Bates and Ed Davey in the Sunday Times. And it said that initially Ed Davey had given him the brush off. But I think Ed Davey did then meet with him once. And then when Alan Bates asked for follow-up meetings subsequently, he then brushed him off again. So I don't think it's fair to say that he never met with him, just that he met with him once and uh, seemingly didn't take his concerns very seriously, not seriously enough to look into it properly. Okay, well then, let's be fair to Ed Davey, which is not a fun thing to do. But he, he, so Ed Davey has attacked the post office conspiracy of lies as he defends Roland Scandal. This was in the in the Guardian, so we'll check that, uh, and we can maybe do an update. So someone did make the, a good point about Ed Davey. It's like um, you know, the case that he should resign as leader of the Lib Dems isn't open and shut. You know, he can say some things in his defence. It's not, you know, an out-and-out scandal, uh, 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 which is sufficiently grave to place him on resignation watch. But 
Ed Davey has consistently, repeatedly called for anyone uh, uh, remotely involved in any scandal for the last 10 years to resign. I mean, he's like one of the most shrill kind of demanders of resignations um, in Parliament. So by his own standards, by the standard he applies to everyone else, he should resign. Yeah. And I just want to say also, Alan Bates has turned down an OBE because he doesn't want to accept it until everyone is cleared. So he's an absolute legend for that. Yeah, and to be fair to Davey, I mean, I do struggle to see what the point of Ed Davey is, especially if he's not going to, if he didn't even sort this post office thing. What is the point of him? But he does say, yeah, he was the first post office minister to meet Alan Bates. And he said, initially I was told not to, but I insisted when I read some of his letters because I could hear his anger. I took his arguments to the post office, but I was lied to. So he did He did meet him. Clearly didn't do enough, but maybe not quite as bad as I initially made out. Sorry, Ed, but still still not quite sure the point of him. But um, all right. Well, that's the post office scandal, and it will continue, and it's an absolutely shocking story. And I'm sure you're all... I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure the general public can quite see the point of Ed Davey either, because in the latest um, opinion poll published in the Mail today, I think reform are on 11%, Lib Dems on 10%. So reform are ahead of the Lib Dems in the polls. They're third, push the Lib Dems into fourth place. Yeah, the Lib Dems are so foolish. I mean, I used to vote Lib Dem. I mean, they were decent-ish on COVID passports and things like that. They were, Of course, they went along with lockdowns like everyone, but they were more concerned than most about things like COVID passports as bizarrely was Jeremy Corbyn and a couple of others, but they could be a civil liberties party. I remember when Sir Paul Marshall had the Orange Book and it was more about let's be a capitalist party, but we have progressive income tax rates at the bottom end and we'll, we're socially liberal, but we're you know capitali- capitalist. Now they're just woke, basically. They just went full woke mm-hmm. from the Joe Swinson. Was that a name? From her era onwards. Even cable. Also, I think she, she and she, she Joe Swinson was um, Ed Davies' successor as I don't know Minister for Postal Affairs, and she also did almost nothing to help the sub postmasters. I mean, it's just a decline. I mean, the days of Paddy Ashdown are long gone. I mean, you know, they were probably already looking back, probably flawed. I mean, I probably shouldn't have been voting for them anyway, but they certainly took a ridiculous woke turn. I remember when they said that Trump shouldn't have a state visit, and all this stuff was when I really lost it with them. It was like, what are you on about? I mean, he's the American president. I always thought I was pathetic. And that was on the cable. Swinson was even more ridiculous. Ed Davey, pointless. Yeah, hopefully yeah. They'll, they'll not do very well. But um, let's see. And speaking of that, the next story I wanted to do was the election with Sunak saying that he's ruling out a May general election and it will be in the second half of the year. This story feels a little old now because it must have been the beginning of, of last week. But um. Or the middle of the week, I suppose. But he he said it's going to be towards the end of the year. Now, some people thought this was to distract from Starmer's boring speech about nothing, which he made. And then as a follow-up, Starmer accused Sunak of squatting in Downing Street, which I thought was strange because I always imagined Labour would be on the side of squatters and against landlords. They're just, you know, for any criminal, basically, aren't they? So, um, but yeah, he said he was squatting, which is weird because he's perfectly entitled to call the election when he wants Presumably waiting a little longer to see if the economy recovers a bit more, see if Labour do anything mental. Any take on that, Toby? Um, yes, I think... Um, uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem at all surprising that, that uh, Sunak has said, you know, um, bearing some unforeseen 
crisis. There won't be a general election until the second half of the year. I, mean, I, I, I thought that's what everyone assumed. Um, and of course, you know, it's led to a predictable clamour from um, Ed Davey and Keir Starmer uh, to get on with calling a general election. Um, I mean, I suppose, I suppose that we, we, did we discuss last week whether if, um, uh, if, if Rishi Sunak loses the um, third reading vote on the Rwanda bill and resigns and there's a leadership election and Kemi wins that election, whether she should hold a general election straight away or hang on until the end of the year. I can't remember. You mentioned it briefly, that. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think, I, I think uh, in those circumstances, I do think that it would be advisable for, you know, if, if Rishi Sunak isn't the prime minister for much longer, whoever his successor is, um, uh, uh, particularly if it's Kemi, I think should, um, hold a general election sooner than the second half of last year. I think in the immediate aftermath, it's going to be very difficult for the Tories if they change leader again, not to have an election, um, uh, given, you know, how little democratic legitimacy the new prime minister will have in the absence of another election, winning another election. And I think Kemi could fight an election, assuming she wins, assuming Sama go, uh, Sunak goes, all big assumptions. But if that happens, I think she could fight an election on the issue of immigration. She could say, you know, um, this th- it could be a kind of single issue general election. And I think she'd have credibility, which uh, Sunak doesn't have. I think she'd be able to uh, outflank Starmer on that issue without too much difficulty. Um, and the election could be, you know, if, if I win, I'm going to take Britain out of the European Convention on Human Rights so we can actually do something once and for all about the small birds. I think that would be, you know, an attractive manifesto to run on. And I think she'd do better than Starmer will, even if he waits until the second half of the year. Not Starmer, Sunak. All a bit academic, isn't it? Second half, first half, he's going to lose anyway, unless Starmer does something mental to drop the Ming vase. I'm always amazed that people want to vote Labour when you realise the kind of things they're going to bring in. For example, the Rayner, Angela Rayner, saying that she would scrap the minimum requirement on the tubes what's it called the minimum service requirement where they can't strike which city mm. can't fail to invoke anyway which is yes. so stupid because we desperately he's just completely that. he's he's completely capitulated to the rmt yeah um and Did I say invoke or revoke? down I the back of the sofa yeah he's found 30 million down the back of the sofa and yeah. um i think yeah and i think that's a that's um an own goal for labor and i think uh Sunak is right to say, um, under a Labour government, they would be constantly giving into the unions, and that'll be at the expense of the taxpayer. Um, yeah, ludicrous uh, that the RMT can hold the mayor to ransom like this, and just he completely capitulates. I mean, good lord, what's his spine made of? It's completely appalling. I mean, but he wants to. I mean, he wants. You know, Khan wants to side with them. I mean, and the fact that Rain has said she'll get rid of that rule that's only just been brought in. It's going to be an absolute nightmare. And this is why I don't understand people like people like Josh Howey on our headliner show. They're still going to vote Labour, even though it's going to be this woke hell with constant strikes or just constant capitulation to unions. Why do we? Why does anyone want that? It absolutely baffles me just because they're sick Baffling. of the Tories. That's all, all it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I came up with an idea for an anti-Sadiq Khan attack ad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so... Um, so you open with um, Sadiq Khan giving one of his kind of typically woke speeches in which she's talking about diversity and inclusion and now London is for everyone and 
you've got to nip misogyny in the bud by saying, mate, and all the rest of it. And uh, a real speech by Sadiq Khan. You wouldn't have to invent it or do any kind of, use any kind of um, uh, AI to, to, to recreate it. Uh, so real speech, but then you cut to a bingo hall full of diversity crats, all kind of ticking off the phrases on their bingo cards as he uses them. And then you see a sign above them saying, woke bingo. And then you cut back to Sadiq trotting out some other PC cliche. And then one of the diversity crats leaps up and says, bingo. And everyone applauds. And it's, uh, you know, inside this little bubble, they're all absolutely delighted with each other. And then you pan out to see the streets of London outside the bingo hall. And basically, it's a riot, you know, sort of um, shoplifters emerging from JD Sport with their swag, bicycle, motorcycle gangs, stealing tourist Rolexes, um, pro-Palestinian protesters dressed as jihadis waving ISIS flags, um, uh, uh, total total chaos. Um, and uh, and then you have the kind of police stand, the Met sort of looking on benignly or occasionally next to their kind of rainbow-coloured police cars, sometimes joining in little dances with just stop oil protesters. And then you, you flash up various statistics like how much knife crime has increased by, how much tube fares have increased by during Sadiq's reign. And at the end, the final the final slogan is um uh, uh london deserves better than four more years of woke bingo it's not bad i mean i just wonder if, if woke bingo penetrates with the average person or if it's a bit of a sort of culture warrior sort of thing maybe i definitely like the idea of cd khan banging on about woke stuff and then you cut outside to the post-apocalyptic nightmare of london where idris elba is now saying guys maybe we shouldn't have machetes you know, it's taking people like him to come forward. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I mean, it must not be hard to make a campaign out destroying calm. The amount of knife crime, yeah, tube strikes, ULES misery, cameras yeah. being. Yeah, you'd have, you'd, you'd have kind of traffic you. at an absolute standstill, kind of in the streets outside, and kind of traffic wardens racing around, slapping tickets yeah. on people's cars. Um, uh, people being knifed, as you say, kind of uh, people waving machete knives. I mean, it wouldn't be difficult. You wouldn't need to kind of distort reality too much to kind of depict London as a kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max movie. Well, Alex Phillips was just tweeting or ex-posting today that she just someone just attempted to mug her in broad daylight, I think on Oxford Street, just on a bike, knocked her phone out of her hand, but it fell on the floor so they didn't have time to pick it up and everyone just stood and watched. Happened to me on the, my high street where I live, Two lads on a moped got my phone out of my hand. I've become much wiser since. But yeah, and that's just normal. You, I'm sure your family's had lots of incidents like this. It's just uh, constant. It's, it's horrendous. It's just it's disgusting. And then when yeah, when you're talking about Idris Elba coming forward and saying maybe we shouldn't have machetes and zombie knives, just like what has happened to this? But you know, it's, it's so many things, isn't it? It's, it's a low trust society. It's multiculturalism. No one cares about each other. It's a lack of... Uh, deterrence it's Sadiq Khan it's millions of things it's, it's very hard it's to the, see how we get back it's the police not doing their job properly yeah well. lack of police lack of police on the streets yeah I know I know it's awful and that's I hate Khan I think everyone hates Khan pretty much everybody even taxi drivers I hate I talk to now all hate Khan even if they're Muslim I can't find anyone that likes Khan I mean who the heck is voting for this idiot well no one anymore but there hasn't been an election for a while but um actually what, on, on the plus side Nick there does seem to be um uh, a chance that Jeremy Corbyn will run as an independent mayoral candidate, which would scupper Khan, I think. Um, do you saw this piece in the Mail on Sunday, on Sunday, that um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn is thinking 
quite seriously about creating a new political party. Sounds a lot like respect. <laughs> it would need. be kind of to capitalise on the um, pro-Palestinian protests and the anti-Israeli sentiment. It would be a kind of hard left socialist party that embraced Islamism. Um, so very like respect. Um, uh, but uh, he sees there's a, he thinks that's a, because the Labour Party um, have refused to condemn Israel's you know, military operation in Gaza and refused to call for a ceasefire. Uh, he thinks there's now a real opportunity uh, to create this new party to the left of Labour, uh, which is which is very pro-Palestinian, very anti-Israeli. Uh, but let's hope he creates it and they field a candidate, even if it isn't him, before the mayoral election. Deadline to enter that race is March 27th. That party sounds absolutely awful, but it would serve one function, and this is not the most libertarian thing I've ever said, but what you do, you get everyone that votes for Jeremy Corbyn's far-left Islamist party, check out who's voted for them, just deport them all. Just deport everyone that voted for that party. <laughs> that is quite an authoritarian uh, <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> well, worth thinking about. Um, well, that's old Richard Sunuk. I sometimes think of Richard Sunak as Richard Sunak. It just privately amuses me. I don't know why it just sort of suits him. But he also got called Rashid Sanuk, didn't he, by Joe Biden. I think of him as either of those, and they both amuse me. But that's Rishi. And um, there's one more thing just to briefly cover. Chris Skidmore resigned from the Conservative Party, resigns Conservative whip over Sunak's oil and gas license ban. So it was a kind of uh, eco-virtue signaling, a bit of nonsense. And he, you can tell it was bad because he was praised by Ed Miliband, Robert Peston and Caroline Lucas. You almost don't need to know any more details than that. <laughs> I, I just go off that. I didn't even bother learning anything else about it. But basically, he was saying, I can no longer continue to support a government that is committed to a course of action that I know is wrong and will cause future harm. And other people said it's so he wants a job in the green lobby. But ostensibly, anyway, he wrote this three-page letter banging on about they've gone against their net zero commitments or whatever it was. Did, it, did anything on that, Toby? Uh, yeah, no, that was... Uh, he was an A-list pretty... hire, apparently, even though he seems to be a white man, but he was one of Cameron's A-listers. He was, yeah, one of Cameron's A-listers. Um, and uh, like many of Cameron's A-listers, regrettably turned out to be basically a Lib Dem. Lib um, and, uh, and yeah, he's he's resigned because um, he's worried that uh, Rishi isn't committed enough to uh, achieving net zero by 2050, um, and uh, and he's and he's he's he, he's already got a job um, with um, some energy company, some sustainable energy company. It looks as a where he already earns eighty thousand a year, I think, um, and he's no doubt going to bugger off and earn you know ten times that working for the kind of sustainable energy sector um and uh, maybe he thought that um, he was unlikely to uh, retain his seat if he stood again as an mp so he's kind of uh, flounced off and given rishi sunak a real headache by triggering yet another by election which the conservatives may well lose so um you think that you know if you're if you're an elected mp don't you have some kind of you know, some vestigial sense of public duty to serve your constituents before the next general election. I mean, what is the cost of a by-election? You know, um, isn't it an irresponsible use of taxpayers' money, which you've been entrusted to safeguard as a as an MP? I mean, it just it's just to, to, to score a cheap political point, to embarrass the people he's supposed to be loyal to, um, and to no doubt enhance his own job prospects, you know, um, uh, really disgraceful behavior yeah 
that pretty much deals with that. Speaking of disgraceful behavior and speaking of Sadiq Khan, let's do this other story, which involves one of the only people that had a decent chance of beating Khan, which was Sean Bailey, frequent GB News contributor. Seems like a good guy to me. But he he said he said something about Carol Vorderman, which is never a great thing to do, given how much she's on X, which seems to be all day. And um, he went on GB and he said, on one hand, she's a serious political commentator. And then if you look at her Instagram, it's all pictures of her bum and her boobs. What is it? She can't be both. So then Carol Vorderman hit back and attacked him a lot on X. One of her strange claims was that, does he think, does Bailey think that women can't wear lycra at the gym, therefore, and or vote? I'm not sure where she got that from. She made this bizarre kind of extrapolation. He obviously thinks women shouldn't vote then, which was um, odd. She also, while accusing him of, of being a misogynist, which was a big claim, she also, Vorderman, referred to Julia Hartley Brewer and Sarah Viner's, I believe, the witches of Fleet Street. It's like a sort of classic misogynist thing, calling women witches. So not very consistent. And uh, she then hammered Bailey, and he says she's absolutely savage people. He called her a, a bully uh, because of it. And he said that the amount of racial abuse I've had because of her, people threatening to kill my mum directly because of actions she's taken. So interesting. So that is interesting. I mean, she's calling him a misogynist. I mean, I'm saying it's interesting. It's kind of all nonsense. But, um, people, you know, I, I think one thing I said about this on GB is we should just have a moratorium on commenting on women's appearances. That, that's just it's never gone well for the channel there's so many people out to get us. Let's not say what we think about how women look at all, because this has not worked out well ever. And um, and I still have an open offer. Carol Vorderman, did you know she has five boyfriends? And I still have an open offer to be the, the sixth, because as I've said, I'm open-minded and, and, and very lonely. So, you know, it's an offer. And, and, and for old time's sake, because I saw her so much on the TV growing up. So, you know, I, I, why not? I don't know how it works exactly, but she has a rotation of five. She's like one of these red pill male gurus on the internet. They're nearly always men. They like have a rotation of women, don't have a proper girlfriend. And Carol's like that. She's got a rotation of five men. She admitted all this in, in public. This is not controversial. So, you know, you know, maybe she's up for six. But the point is, so the offer's still there. But her political comments, which we should just stick with, are obviously banal, boring, midwittery. It's always, oh, the Tory's bad. It's absolute root one nonsense. It appears to be done just to get popularity and make some noise in the algorithm. I can't say what her motives are, but she formerly seemed to be a conservative. Now she's, oh, I'm the anti-Tory. And it's like Stuart Lee, and Stuart Lee praised her in that ridiculous article. Very similar sort of fake, edgy persona of the, you know, clearly establishment people. And I think Sean Bailey's a nice guy who just said a thing. It's his opinion, isn't it? I mean, he Sean Bailey's from a sort of ordinary background. I think he's from, I think he's had some quite tough struggles growing up. As I, I don't know much about his story, but I, I vaguely remember that. And I think he's just someone who speaks in a common vernacular that people can relate to. And he says things like, yeah, it's all bum and boobs on Instagram. And if you go on Instagram, it is pictures of her in like slow motion in various outfits. It is kind of, you know, fine. But like, why can't he then say that? It's not the smartest thing to say. It's perhaps not the ideal thing to say. But I don't think he's a misogynist. He just was, he just, I don't know, just something he said on a panel show at some point. And then she's hitting back, calling him all these names. I don't know, Toby, any take on that? Well, I um, I don't think I, I don't think I want to be um, number seven um, <laughs> on the on the rotor. Um, that would be weird. Once you. I'm six already, uh, that'd be, that, that would gets be into uncomfortable yeah. territory. Uh, yeah, and I get new material for the podcast, I suppose. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I I think it 
I mean, I, obviously, it's, it's difficult to. I, I, mean, I like Sean like you, um, but um, he probably shouldn't have gone there. Um, he should know that um, you know it's taboo to suggest that women who you know put pictures of themselves in their bikinis and tight outfits and who look booby on uh, Instagram um, shouldn't be taken seriously as you know political commentators and the rest of it. I got into trouble. Uh, one of the things which was frequently brought up during my cancellation in 2018 was commenting on um, the uh, breasts of um, someone behind Ed Miliband. When it, I think Ed Miliband was asking a question in the House of Commons. This was in you know, about 10, 15 years ago. And there was this Labour MP sitting behind him, must have known because he was leader of the opposition at the time, that the camera would be upon him. And he had this kind of... It, one enormous globe of barely contained on either side of his noggin and um and but you couldn't see the person's head so i said on twitter who do the boobies behind ed miliband belong to and uh was and that was i was ridiculed at the time for it and um subsequently ridiculed all over again worse than ridiculed i was it was thought to be a me too crime of some kind people would like hashtag me too when they were calling for me to be cancelled because i'd said this thing you know um and uh but i learned my lesson then <laughs> never to mention um uh boobies um uh anywhere at any time particularly not boobies belonging to kind of uh women. lefties um oh. women <laughs> only mention male Men. you, you can mention if a man has transitioned you probably can it's probably like beautiful and amazing to talk about their breasts right they're amazing probably female yeah breasts. Like, that's yeah. probably high like, praise but Ber- but bergdorf monroe who I'm, i imagine we'll get on to um when we discuss peak woke. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, and would your moratorium on commenting on women's bodies on GB News extend to commenting on men's bodies as well? Or would it just be women's bodies you're not allowed to comment on? I am very um, reluctant to comment on people's appearance just because I don't like it when people people have said horrible things about my appearance on X or even on, in our own reviews and our podcast. You know, one day I'll get someone saying I look like George Clooney in my new uh, shirt and jacket and I'll be like, that's amazing. The next day I'm getting called the most horrific insults and for someone who doesn't have the best self-image it's not it's not great um no, so i try to not comment compared to the stuff i i get i, I get compared but i haven't to told egg. you what they said because i don't want to even say the phrase <laughs> in case it okay, sticks okay. but someone's someone called me they they insulted my face and in, and called me an incel at the same time but i don't even want to use the phrase they use because it was so damning it'll just like you'll start to i don't even want to put the image in people's minds but um okay. you know I've been called her horrible thing. What, what do they say about you? Oh, was it wasn't it yes, something sir. about wank goblin or something? Well, no, the, 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 those are just kind of generic insults. Don't find them too troubling. Cock wobble, whatever. Um, but uh, no, people people say I look like a fetus. Um, uh, Winston <laughs> Churchill. Fetus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's harsh. That's Doctor Evil sidekick in Austin Powers. <laughs> little. Dwarf. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the cock goblin one because we talked about it on a. I, I used it on another podcast. You've actually weirdly you, your video just turned off, so I can't even see what you look like. But um, why yeah, is that? Just Are you as well, come huh? back? Put that, oh, you're back. that image into your head. Yeah, I, did, I, mean, I couldn't confirm whether or not you look like a fetus. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had horrible ones. It's it's pretty brutal. So I don't like to comment on appearance. Period, Toby. Men or women. And I mean, I, we got a little bit of trouble on this podcast about that um woman at talk who I said. 
she reminded me of my narcissistic ex-girlfriend, so I fancy her but hate her at the same time. <laughs> that one got me in two national newspapers. So um, yeah. I thought it was fine. I thought it was a self-deprecating joke. So, yeah, it's very bad to comment on women's appearance. Why not just comment on what she says, the banality of what she says? You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of walking a thin line here because I'm trying to go out with Carol while hating her political commentary and saying it's banal and midwit bollocks and it's annoying. But I'm saying, hey, I'm yeah. still available. You know, it's, it's quite a tricky. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a winning strategy. Um, but uh, yeah, as you've got you to be say, tough with women, Toby. You can't be a simp. They don't respect that. What 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 is? Uh, I think what, one thing that's been clear about kind of Carol Vorderman's reinvention as a kind of left wing firebrand is, you know, the standards on the left are so much lower than they are on the right. You know, everything she says, as you say, is banal midwitchery, and it's absolutely obvious that she's just reinvented herself because her you know uh, her other career is more or less over and you know the real reason i think for casting for being a little bit skeptical about how committed she is to this anti-tory agenda is well why didn't she say any of this stuff before you know it's like uh, she's a real you know she she's she's only been saying it for the past 12 18 months that's that to me makes it quite suspicious but as you say it's all midwitchery it's all complete banalities um uh, but the fact that she's been embraced by the left that someone as seemingly intelligent as Stuart Lee acclaims her as one of his kind of you know Avengers, uh, or or his 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 motley crew of Lord of the Rings style heroes who are going to topple the Tory government. It's like surely there must be better people. I mean, would it be wrong to describe her as a as a pound shop Ash Sarker, or does that imply that Ash Sarker kind of belongs in Harrods or Fortnums when in fact she's probably a bit pound shoppy herself? I think she's more in the Marina Perkis, isn't she? I mean, Ash Sarker seems to actually be interested in politics and have some sort of. She seems to come from a slightly different place, whereas I think isn't Carol Moore your sort of Marina? Remember that? You know, is that her name, Marina? Whatever. Marina Perkis, yeah. also in uh, Stuart's Lord of the Rings gang. It's a slightly more mainstream TV presenter type person who suddenly starts getting woke and going on about the Tories. And Emily, Sarka's uh, more of an actual pa- political. Pa- yeah, a, a pound shop, Emily Maitlis. Yeah, Emily Maitlis. A, like a serious political presenter, wasn't she? Even though her views on LBC, of course, revealed to be the bonkers nonsense we all thought. She was more serious and she actually at least was political because she was on Newsnight. Carol Vorderman, mm. it's more like, it's just more like like a children's TV presenter has suddenly started going on about Chris Skidmore or something. You're like, this, this is weird. It's more like Michaela mm. Strachan or someone like that, you know, suddenly starts going on about the Tories. I'm trying to think of a, who's a good example, like Zoe Ball or someone, you know, suddenly start mm. has a lot to say about, uh, you know, the common fisheries policy or something. You're like, mm. this is, don't you think? Claudia Winkleman. It's, I guess, it's, it's but- if Claudia Winkleman, I know there's no equivalent, but it's if Claudia Winkleman mm. suddenly started commenting on whether there should be an election in May or November, you'd be like, Claudia, just do the, do the adverts for your hair or whatever it mm. is. It's probably not allowed either, whatever I just said. <laughs> you just commented on her appearance. Oh, yeah, yeah. steady. <laughs> but I said it's good, though, in a good way. I think, can yeah, you comment on, that's a good, yeah, yeah. no, you're not even allowed to comment in a good way, are you? I think it's just nothing. No, no, just nothing. you're just not supposed to notice. Even when, even when they've got out their boobs and they're putting them either side of Ed Miliband's head, right. just to notice, it's like falling into the trap. They're daring you to notice. And if you notice, that's it. So it's game over. Or when they're walking in like PVC in slow motion on their Instagram, you're not supposed to notice it. What are you supposed to do? No, just silently right. like it. You're not supposed to even like it. You're supposed to even Don't see like it. it. Don't actually Don't like look it. at it. No, that would be a terrible, <laughs> that would be a catastrophic yeah. career ending error. You're not supposed to even look at it. 
I don't think. No, you, you, I sp- you're supposed to. You're supposed to notice. You're not supposed to linger on it. That's for sure. You've got to. You've got to scroll quite quickly past if you spot it on Instagram. You shouldn't really be following me on Instagram in the first place. Right. No, I'm not following. I just check in occasionally to see if there's a DM. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It's very. It, <laughs> it is will very, be now. <laughs> it is very weird, isn't it? it this whole. It's the, it's the attention economy. Uh, she should start on OnlyFans. Anyway, probably can't say that, can you? Um, all right, that is pretty much that topic. We'll probably get cancelled for that one. I think that's all our main topics for this week in the main section. But maybe we'll go across and do an occasional section we like to do, which is the X-Files. I thought I might do an X-File this week, Toby, about Mark Cuban. Did you follow this? He basically was doing all these long threads claiming that DIE or DEI, I call it DIE, but it's diversity, equity, inclusion, is good. And his sort of overall take was that you, you don't, you sort of, his claim seemed to be that you're hiring from a wider pool. You're not just discriminating against certain people, which is obviously what it's actually doing. You're just hiring from a wider pool and then basing it on merit within that. But that's not really what DEI seems to mean in reality. But that was his claim about it. And then people started hitting back saying, well, why didn't you hire an Asian woman for the Dallas Mavericks then? And he sort of, he hit back with like a claim that he would hire Brittany Griner, who is trans or something. But but people are saying this doesn't really answer it. And there was this person, Wu Wee, who's a, a parody account saying, yeah, I need to play for the Mavs. And that had sort of some huge, huge amount of likes. Wu Wee, this Asian parody account saying, you know, why don't you, you must hire me, Cube. And I haven't, can't find the exact X post. I know people love it when I search for them live. But um, <laughs> then Elon Musk has hit back at um, Cuban. He's called him a liar. And he's called him a racist now, which is which is a bit of a bant. Probably get him another lawsuit. And one thing he then linked to was a video going around of Cuban in the past saying that, you know, we're all bigots. He's got his own bigotry. If he sees a black kid in a hoodie late at night, he crosses the road and, you know, he feels bad for it and all that kind of thing. So the claim some people were making is like Cuban's on a kind of woke overcompensation for his past actions. He's definitely playing the the woke game, uh, and it's definitely it's kicked off between Musk and Cuban, two billionaires, and even to the point of calling him a liar and racist. Did you follow any of this? Yeah, followed it sort of at a distance without really focusing on it. Um, I'm not saying I focused uh, on actually, it. it, 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 it. Interestingly, I've had conversations with a couple of people over the past seven days in which they've said the problem with EDI, I'll call it EDI to avoid confusing DIE with DEI. Um, the problem with EDI, the problem with objecting to it is that you can't just object to it wholesale because about 10% of it has some value. Um, 90% of it is nonsense and is counterproductive and toxic, but 10% of it, they they, they both claimed has some value. And I think what they mean is, I think, uh, is that um, policies which um, uh, encourage people in the workplace not to discriminate against disadvantaged minorities, um, not to use pejorative terms to describe them, to be conscious of um, not excluding them or belittling them, all of those things are good. We're all in favour of not discriminating, not being prejudiced, um, uh, not making people needlessly feel uncomfortable on the basis of their immutable characteristics. But the problem with most EDI 
training programs policies is that they go way beyond that and actually end up discriminating but just in reverse um so i think you can i think what we really need is another phrase to describe what it is that's valuable about those programs and policies um to distinguish them from what's so toxic and divisive about most edi training policies yeah, sorry, I'm still looking for this tweet from Wei Wu, which is apparently it's Wei Wu, not Wu Wei, which is not it's not a good use of time. But Cuban's still, uh, Musk is still commenting on it as as we speak. I as you say, I haven't focused on it, but it, he did call him racist and a lie. I mean, it, his argument, of course, being that if you're following DEI policies, you are a racist, which I basically agree with. Whether it's smart to call Cuban a racist on online, I suppose you've got to have pretty deep pockets. But um, he said, if mental gymnastics were an Olympic sport, Mark Cuban would be a perfect 10. I agree with that. And um, I wonder if Cuban's now blocked me because I can't see that. that. I don't think he'd bother blocking me, would he? Um, Did you see this story in the Wall Street Journal in which um, various supposedly uh, quoting um, senior executives at Tesla and SpaceX, I think, who are worried that um, Elon's drug-taking mean that he's becoming yes. more and more erratic and unpredictable. I saw that. It was a massive uh, hit mentioned... piece in the Wall Street Journal. And then Musk yeah. said that TMZ yeah. has better standards than the Wall Street Journal. Right, because they had they didn't they didn't seem to have sourced it particularly rigorously. And it seemed to be based on, you know, anonymous sources and hearsay. Um but th- there was some reference to these kind of international this international kind of elite drug taking group that uh, gang that um, Musk is a member of, in which they have you have to kind of, you, you arrange to go to these kind of hedonistic parties, and you you have to leave your phone at the door and sign various kind of NDAs, and then you go in and kind of get naked and kind of participate in these drug fueled orgies. Um, sounded quite a lot of fun, I have to say. I missed that part. I know that the, the lawyer pointed out that Musk has passed drug tests consistently because oh, after the Joe Rogan podcast where he, he smoked weed, he had to do all the these drug tests apparently just passed them consistently over two years and must said he doesn't enjoy doing illegal drugs. And he says TMZ has vastly higher standards than the Wall Street Journal, actually. So, yeah, that's it's, it's a pathetic hit piece, isn't it? They all just, anyway, we know that they all do hit pieces against Musk about anything because they're against him politically. Oh, well, that was the um, that was the Cuban Musk spat, which is ongoing. The other thing on X was the Trump fake campaign ad that actually made Trump look really cool. Did you see that? It came from the resistance, whoever they are. And they did this fake ad of like Trump being a dictator and saying like January 6th is the new July 4th and you all have to worship Trump and women can't get abortions or whatever, all this kind of stuff. Most of it just seemed awesome. That was the problem. It backfired because it just made Trump (laughs) look really cool, which is what they keep doing. What did you think? Yeah, not not necessarily going to put people off voting for him. Um, It seemed to me that it was trotting out all these... Um, hysterical left-wing um, talking points about Trump, portraying Trump as this kind of undemocratic authoritarian. And it just seemed a bit rich um, for you know the woke liberal left to be accusing Trump of being authoritarian and undemocratic when surely those are the vices afflicting the current radical progressive left. Um, in particular, they, they one, one of the kind of um, supposed shortcomings of a Trump presidency in a few years' time is that foreign travel would be restricted. 
And it's like, uh, that was one of the manifestations of his authoritarianism. But, you know, foreign travel was restricted by the Democrats during the pandemic. I mean, they're literally guilty of the things they're imagining Trump could be guilty of. Yeah, I know. I know. They are the real dictators. We all know. Just look at their treatment of January 6th prisoners, etc., etc. I've said it so many times. Let's hope for a Trump dictatorship. I'm sure Toby and everyone listening agrees that would be amazing. I don't think it will be. I don't think it won't be a dictatorship. That, 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 that's just a left-wing scare story. Only on day one. Only on day one. Only on day which one. Which turned out yeah. he meant and he's not gonna de- That doesn't mean he's going to declare military law, which is what they, no, which would be what great. they had he, him doing on day one. He meant close the border and drill for oil, weirdly, when he said that. So, yeah, mm. all right. Well, let's very quickly do our occasional section, which is Across the Pond. I just wanted to briefly go across the pond to talk about the Epstein revelations. It's not totally across the pond because, of course, Prince Andrew is involved in it. But there are all kinds of revelations from this latest release, which is the eighth release from the uh, Giffray defamation case. I just keep releasing stuff. It's a thousand page document um, of people who went to the island. Hillary Clinton calls it the terminal list. Just kidding. Don't kill me. Um and one of the revelations in there was that Bill Clinton likes them young, according to Epstein. So it was only it was only Epstein claiming that Bill Clinton liked them young, according to uh, Joanna Joburg, who told the lawyers that. So, you know, it's hearsay. And there are all these people mentioned, like Naomi Campbell, Leonardo DiCaprio, Bruce Willis, but they weren't mentioned in any bad capacity. They were just, it must be quite annoying to get mentioned, Kate Blanchett. But they were just in, in they were just there and thereabouts, but they didn't actually do anything. Stephen Hawking came across less well. There was messages of Epstein telling someone to say, to disprove that that Hawking had been involved in an orgy, which of course doesn't mean he was. It just means that Epstein was keen to to try and get someone to deny it. So it's all a bit vague and weird. But then all these memes about Hawking started going around. My favorite one was this transcript that came out uh, where it's a Q&A that's been written down and one of the questions is did Jeffrey ever talk to you about Stephen Hawking's proclivities and the answer is yes he liked watching undressed midgets solve complex equations on a too high up chalkboard <laughs> which is one of the greatest <laughs> it turned out to be fake lots of people thought that was real but that would be <laughs> that's amazing I mean I managed to read that out on uh, GB News just to see if I could so far no Ofcom complaints have reached me but <laughs> that would be amazing if that was what Hawking was into. But as these rumors of Hawking being involved in an orgy, no one knows how that would logistically work. And then there was more stuff about Prince Andrew. Was he involved in orgies? There'd already been the puppet revelation. That, speaking of uh, breast, he, he touched um, Virginia's... They So it was Andrew. They put the puppet on Virginia's lap. And I sat on Andrew's lap and they put the puppet's hand on Virginia's breast. And Andrew put his hand on my breast and they took the photo. So it was a kind of... Puppet-based groping was the claim. But that one was already out, I think. And um, anyway, people have commented on it and whether Andrew can ever come back from any of this. And someone that worked with him described him as displaying a fatal mix of arrogance and stupidity. And this sort of vibe of, there was an article in Telegraph saying, look, if he just got his head down, atoned like like the guy from the Profumo scandal, maybe he could come back into public life eventually. But he hasn't really done that and doesn't really grasp that he has to. Any comment on this, Toby? We know, first off, that you were not on the Epstein list in any way. We always have to clarify that. So you were glad to probably not see your name on there, although perhaps you would like to be on there amongst Leonardo DiCaprio because, you, you know, it means you're still relevant. What do you think? 
well, no, yeah, just just to clarify, just to just to uh, <laughs> just for the record, um, I, I never travelled on the Lolita Express. I never went to Pedo Island. I never set foot in Jeffrey Epstein's house, let alone his um, his James Bond villain-like lair. And even if you did have anything to do with underage girls, they would be the ones molesting you because you're a fetus, so you're even younger than them. That's true. Yeah. Um, I could have them up for paedophilia. Um, so, uh, uh, the uh, yeah, but but Stephen Hawking, it turns out, did visit Pedo Island. Um, he, he went um, to attend a science conference, and hence these rumours of him participating in orgies, um, or one orgy anyway. Uh, it's slightly odd that um, Epstein should have offered, um, so, I think according to, according to one of the... Um, uh, witnesses, he, he he would have offered you know money to anyone who can disprove that um, uh, Hawking participated in an underage sex orgy. I think the word I want underage was in there, and because how could you know? I mean, you know, Guffrey could say, well, he never had sex with me, um, but that wouldn't prove that he hadn't participated in the orgy. I mean, uh, so it was a sort of slightly odd claim to make. Um, uh, presumably, wanted to defend Hawking's reputation um uh, but yeah it, it gave rise to a tsunami of pretty um hysterical memes um and if you saw some of those but they were very funny um imagining how hawking would have participated in an underage sex orgy perhaps, perhaps not very funny uh, but anyway um uh, no it's very distasteful uh, but yeah it's it, it yeah, sorry yeah an appalling taste I, I can't believe i laughed at them um but uh yeah it's um i've I, am i alone in thinking that actually the um, data that's been revealed by this latest data dump isn't particularly thrilling. I was hoping for something a bit more scandalous, something, you know, a few more smoking guns. There doesn't seem to be anything really scandalous or significant in there, nothing that we didn't already suspect or know, I think. Well, if Hawking was involved in an orgy, that's pretty big. And if Bill Clinton was really proved to like them young, that would be big. But yeah, because there's no proof. Perhaps there is nothing yeah. really new. And it's all just, a lot of it is just kind of speculation, you know, included in witness statements. That it's not actual evidence that any of these things are true. Yeah, fair point, fair point. Um, so I thought it was worth just, to be honest, I thought it was worth briefly covering mainly for the, the midget thing about the too high up short yeah. I mean, that's just so, whoever wrote that is a comic genius and we'd like yeah. to hire them for, for some of our work because it, that's, that's just so perfect. Okay, well, now let's go over to Will and Toby with our top stories of the week. So I'm here with Will Jones with the top stories of the week. Uh, Will, the first story you wanted to talk about was the uh, Surgeon General of Florida um, calling for a halt on the issuance of any more COVID boosters. Yeah, big... uh Big intervention here from Florida Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Joe Ladepo. He's called uh, for a complete halt on the use of mRNA vaccines. Regular listeners uh, will know that Florida Surgeon General and Florida have been ramping up their concerns about uh, the mRNA vaccines in particular over the last uh, 12 months, uh, really. And 
uh, increasingly putting out warnings and uh, sponsoring studies uh, saying that they are uh, they're concerned about the the side effects of the vaccines and whether they are worthwhile particularly for younger people or people not at high risk uh, this is their uh, their biggest and his biggest intervention uh, yet florida doesn't have the power uh, to halt the use of mrna vaccines by itself uh, so this is a call to the us federal government the fda the food and drug administration to halt uh, those and in particular the reason that he's called uh, for this halt is the dna contamination of the mRNA vaccines. Uh, We've spoken about that before. This is, uh, in particular, this isn't actually the same issue as we were talking about last week, Toby. You may remember we talked about uh, the risk of DNA integration from uh, producing the spike protein for the COVID. The uh, the vaccines produce that spike protein, of course, uh, and the risk of integrating that. This isn't actually the same issue, although it sounds similar. It's to do with DNA, but this is to do with contamination of different DNA Uh, that is used in the manufacturing process that should have been removed, uh, but it was discovered by various independent researchers and confirmed by uh, public health bodies around the world uh, since then uh, that the vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, uh, are heavily contaminated uh, with, uh, with DNA that was used in the manufacturing process. And, uh, and this, of course, is a major issue. It's not actually known whether this con- DNA contamination uh, has serious uh, in- impacts on health, whether it's actually responsible for any of the side effects. Those things aren't known. Uh, Dr. Uh, Joel Depo doesn't doesn't claim that those that those problems are known, but the point is uh, that these this contamination should have been known about and should have been checked and tests. Really important checks and tests that uh, have been established since at least 2007 by the FDA uh, that should be done to check that these this contaminate this kind of contamination isn't a risk to health and and Florida asks the FDA to confirm whether this had been done they received uh, no uh, reassurance that those tests had been done so now they're calling for them to be withdrawn so there's lots of issues of course with these vaccines as we've been hearing about on uh, on previous uh, episodes but this one in particular is a clear reason uh, for the for the uh, vaccines to be uh, withdrawn at least while those tests are done Right. So just to be clear, the issue we were talking about last week is that the recipients of mRNA vaccines could contaminate their DNA in virtue of having taken those vaccines or boosters. Whereas in this case, the issue is that contained within the vaccines or boosters may be some contaminated DNA. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right, Will, the second story you wanted to talk about this week has been quite a big story, not just for us, but um, across the climate contrarian world, um, which is this claim that 2023 was the hottest year uh, in the last 125,000 years, uh, which we've seen bandied about quite a lot um, by climate alarmists. But as Chris Morrison, our environment editor, points out, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of evidence for this claim. Absolutely. Claim put about by major mainstream uh, news uh, stations such as CNN in the United States. The the, the last year is the hottest for the, uh, at least 125,000 years. Quite an incredible claim and a com- complete nonsense, that is. 
uh, as uh, Chris Morrison, our uh, excellent environment editor, goes through the clear scientific evidence in published multiple papers, multiple places, showing that using uh, widely accepted and regarded as reliable uh, temperature proxies, that means that means uh, measures such as from ice cores in, in Antarctica or um, or whatever, so proxies uh, or tree rings for more recent temperatures. So using that data, widely accepted, this is, you know, we're talking uh, standard mainstream peer-reviewed research here, uh, showing that temperatures have, have frequently been warmer than several degrees warmer than the current temperatures. For example, that the uh, that between 9,000 and 5,000 years ago, uh, it was Arctic regions uh, were two degrees uh, C warmer, two degrees centigrade warmer uh, than today, that places that had currently see at least six months of uh, sea ice coverage uh, at that time uh, were nearly were ice-free nearly all year round. Uh, there's evidence of uh, from 10,000 years ago, there's evidence of forests expanding up into those regions that are completely covered in ice and tundra uh, today. Uh, you know, really, really clear evidence, and that's not all. Uh, and over 100,000 years ago, there's evidence of the temperature being seven to eight degrees uh, warmer than it is today. So, and this is all just this is all t- drawn from uh, mainstream, solid uh, scientific studies using uh, um, widely accepted temperature proxies. Uh, so, the, the claim really has has no legs to stand on, and is just more uh, hysterical climate uh, propaganda, as as Chris says. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that clip. Um, I think you were still on holiday, but we published a clip at the end of the news roundup where we usually publish a clip from GB News or Talk TV or something similar. Um, and uh, this was, uh, I think, James Woodhausen, who is a climate contrarian who contributes regularly to Spiked, amongst other publications, uh, in an argument with someone with a just a boil activist on Sky News, and uh, and he put this point to the just a boil activist who just trotted out this dubious stat, and she she he he just asked quite politely, um, what, c- can you tell me what evidence you're relying on to make this claim, given that records only go back at best you know 150 years, uh, written records, and uh, and instead of actually citing the evidence she was relying on she said i refuse to debate with a climate denier it was just hopeless um but uh yeah the, the, as far as i know no solid persuasive evidence has been put forward to corroborate this claim it's just typical hyperbole trotted out by climate alarmists okay well the final story you want to talk about this week is that um in valencia in spain uh, public health officials um, have demanded the reintroduction of mask mandates. Uh, and I saw there was a piece in the Daily Mail today, actually, by an A&E doctor uh, also calling for the uh, re-imposition of mask mandates. I think in Valencia, it's just in hospital settings. I think it's actually gone ahead now. Um, this A&E doctor in England was calling for mandatory masking in all sorts of settings, including public transport, supermarkets, any crowded place. Uh, So are we seeing a resurgence of mask hysteria? And why haven't these people read the Cochrane Review, Will? Absolutely. Why have they not read uh, the the evidence, the evidence, uh, the evidence base that uh, Dr. Tom Jefferson and his team have so clearly and, ex- and expertly set out, showing that there really is no good evidence that these work. But these, but people, of course, are uh, completely convinced that these these pieces of cloth 
um, that they put in front of their mouths uh, must do something to protect them from microscopic airborne uh, droplets uh, containing virus. Uh, and so, as you say, here we have uh, Spanish regions, uh, tourist tourist hotspots, typically. So it's obviously the uh, the, the dirty tourists, the, the filthy, disease-ridden tourists who they're mainly concerned about. Region of Valencia, I think I read uh, that uh, the Canary Islands have, uh, since we published this story, also uh, also, it brought back these mask mandates, and as as you say, it is specifically for hospitals and healthcare settings. So this is not a general community uh, mandate. It's not uh, it's not masks for the beach uh, or the bar or the hotel. So that is at least one thing. But it does it does really show that uh, this knee jerk uh, reaction now uh, to reach for the masks when whenever uh, cases uh, so-called cases uh, rise i think they are having quite a hard time they had quite a hard winter um, in the region with um, various viruses not just covid but various viruses uh, putting pressure on the health system so uh, so i think that's that's what's behind it but uh, but still the, the evidence isn't there and as you say there's that article that that appalling article, awful article in the mail from an a&e doctor uh, Salea, um something I can't remember her her surname, but yes, yeah, just uh, with with just cherry picking studies, uh, and and also it starts with an anecdote where she says, "Oh well, I I always wear my masks, but one time I was on a crowded plane with uh, lots of people coughing, and I forgot my mask, and then I got ill, so uh, I'll never I never forgotten it again." You know, it starts that's the kind of level of evidence that we're talking about, and then she uh, proceeds to make all kinds of cherry picked uh, arguments to argue why. Yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, yet she's a she's a qualified doctor, and yet she's uh, relying on anecdotal evidence, her own lived experience, which somehow trumps um, this kind of incredibly well researched meta study carried out by you know the Cochrane um, crew. Uh, quite unbelievable. But um, yeah, she's not the only one, as you say. Uh, on the on the plus side, um, Will, I don't know if you saw, but the UK government have just issued new guidance for schools saying that if your child has the sniffles, don't keep them home from school, still send them into school. Um, very different from, you know, the advice which the government was doling out during the pandemic in which schools were closed. Uh, they finally got this one right, Will, and it's taken them almost four years, but I guess better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you very much, Will Jones, with our top stories of the week. Great, thanks, Toby. Okay, so that was Will. Now back with Toby, and let's do everyone's favourite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, lots of Peak Wokes I could cite this week. One was just Armando Iannucci coming out and making this annoying claim that woke people, people, sorry, people who use the word woke are the real authoritarians and they're, they're the problem, you know, and then he sort of talked about protests, like we're not free to protest because I'll just, I'm just going to read my ex post because people love that. I mean, it came from Newsnight and he was saying, I think the people who most use the phrase woke are the ones that are the most censorious. So I wrote, typical establishment sophistry. Ooh, it's the ones who say woke who are the real authoritarians. How clever, except it's nonsense. Plus the mention of protests because the new elite always pretend they're still the rebels. He threw in a thing there about, you know, will the government allow protests anymore about Palestine, blah, blah, blah. So it's this continued claim that, you're, you know, you're Iannucci, you're about as in the system as you can be. But no, it's the ones who constantly say woke who are the real authoritarians. It's kind of like, 
it's kind of like it is sophistry. I don't want to call. It, I was going to say midwit. But obviously, Ian Uchi is not a midwit. He's very smart. So it's just kind of mis- misuse of one's intelligence to justify anything, which is one thing. You know, there's that old phrase, isn't there? You have to be an intellectual to believe something that's stupid. So, did you see that? Yeah, that was uh, again kind of. Um, it's this progressive trope, this radical progressive trope, that the real authoritarians are the anti-woke rather than the woke it's um and it just do you think they're they're just engaging in a bit of kind of what aboutery look over there a bit of misdirection i think they genuinely believe it Mm, yeah it must be an element of projection there yeah gaslighting projection uh yeah that was a good one um and uh, i mean i've got so many this week nick i mean it just seems to have been a a bumper week for peak woke so we had, um, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, Munro Bergdorf. Uh, I think I called her Bergdorf Munro, but her name is Munro Bergdorf, and she is a trans woman. Sorry, he <laughs> made this mistake. He he is a trans woman, a 36-year-old trans woman, and he has been selected uh, by UN Women UK as its UK champion. Pretty extraordinary. So various. Um, now that's the person that said that, um, that that a white man, even if he's homeless, still has white privilege, right? I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, bit of a menace. Um, very woke, and uh, uh, but I think yes, you you are allowed to compliment him on his very realistic looking breasts. Anyway, there's that, um, and uh, then um, uh, we got uh, James Bond films have been given a trigger warning as part of a retrospective at the British Film Institute, and by trigger warning, of course, they're not referring to the fact that he. Um, shoots people um, with a gun, with a Walter PPK. Um, no, it's um, that uh, the films um, uh, contain scenes and language that may cause today's audiences offence. And Goldfinger is um, one of the um, uh, offensive scenes, apparently. I think it's a scene in which um, he sort of forces himself on pussy galore. And initially she fights him off when he pins her down in a barn. She struggles and then eventually relinquishes and, of course, goes on to have a highly enjoyable time um, with 007. Um, And, uh, oh, the film You Only Live Twice contains, quote, outdated racial stereotypes. I guess that's Bond having his eyes adjusted so he can pass as... um, Asian, um, uh, but God knows it's just ridiculous. Anyway, so trigger warnings attached to uh, classic Bond picks. Uh, what else we got? Um, uh, we've got uh, oh, firefighters taught that biological sex is just a label and may run along a spectrum. So this is the West Sussex Fire and Rescues uh, transgender and non-binary inclusion guidance. Um, uh, what else we got? We've got. Um, uh let's have a look we've got uh, oh yeah the nhs is asking patients to choose from 12 genders 10 sexual preferences and 159 religions yeah let's hope let's hope it's not an emergency in which someone has to have life-saving surgery and before they can be admitted into the theater they have to tell they have to choose from 12 genders 10 sexual preferences and 159 different religions because they'll almost certainly die on the gurney there's only uh, uh, before they get into the operating there's theater. only one religion yeah, go on. Is that, do you want to do more? Uh, I, I do some. You, you've done a lot. You, you do some now. Go on. You well, do some. I thought one good one was the director of the new Star Wars, which is a a woman, and it's going to be 
unspeakably awful, but it was a clip that went around. And to be fair, the clip was from a while ago. It was from a few years ago from some woman conference. And it was John Stewart being a big simp, asking her a question. She said her goal was to make men uncomfortable. And this bothered me. And actually, Matt Walsh retweeted me on this or reposted me, whatever we're calling it. And I said, the male suicides keep ratcheting up as men try to make their way through a Western world entirely hostile to them. Yet this idiot wants to make things even more uncomfortable for men and take away their last entertainments like Star Wars. Imagine how awful her film will be. I also said, also John Stewart there, simping away, having already made his money back when no one cared about diversity. So this is going to be awful, this film. And this woman, now some people hit back and claimed she did all this work with things like honor killings and child marriage and things in Pakistan. It's like, well, then say that. And it wasn't in the context of the question. John Stewart wasn't raising that. Maybe it was the context of the conference. But I think if you're going to say something like you want men to be uncomfortable, say something like I want men who engage in honor killings and child marriages to be uncomfortable, then you'll probably get quite a positive response. But if you just say men, we really need to differentiate because it's not men, is it? It's not us. It's not men that are doing that. It's very specific cultures. So can't say that stuff about men anymore. She got massively attacked for it on on X. And yeah, it's just the time's over for that. Although no one's given Disney the memo and the new Star Wars is going to be some feminist hellscape like the last few, but probably even worse. No, much worse. Um, so um, it seemed a particularly tone deaf thing to say, given, you know, the audience for Star Wars films. I mean, has this woman never been to a Star Wars convention? But this the clip was from uh, before mean, it, that she knew that she would be the Star Wars director. The clip's actually a few years okay. old. I hate to be fair, yeah. but we have okay. to be fair. And Because okay. I, I checked right. it out. It was That's Meryl Streep was on it. It was some uh, women conference. I mean, it might have even been... Right. 2012 or it was it was something it was a long time ago so 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 that the fault doesn't lie so much with her so much as with disney for hiring someone who was apparently a misandrist yes uh, to make a star wars film um given how popular they are with the, male audiences but the fault lies with her just for saying in general that she wants to make men uncomfortable um i've got a couple more good ones but do you want to do one and we've got the lgbtq plus housing yeah um, I, you see that story? I, yeah, yeah. Is that one you wanted to do? No, no, I don't mind. That was yeah, that was one of my last two. Yeah, UK to get its first ever LGBTQ plus only housing for over fifty fives. If new scheme in Manchester is approved, and uh, yeah, I had a big problem with it. This came from Great Places Housing Group. I didn't necessarily have a problem with it because they're apparently private. So I had a question for you about this, Toby, because you I, you understand more how the world works. My claim was if it's private, if it was truly private, right? Although there seems to be various councillors commenting on it so i'm not totally convinced anything is truly private in housing but let's say it is i think you should be allowed to do that under freedom of association right if you're a landlord you should be able to say no this is a gay only house and then someone else can say it's a straight only house but we know that you couldn't say that but if that was the case i'd say fair enough it's called freedom of association let the market decide but if it's any kind of government or quasi charity thing then it's less clear what did you think well um part of the rationale for building LGBTQ plus housing is that LGBTQ plus people have never been in greater danger um, because um, attacks on members of those communities have increased dramatically and are peaking. And there was one paragraph in the mail story which said, according to the Office for National Statistics, hate crimes on the basis of sexual orientation are up by 112%. In the last five years, with Home Office statistics finding homophobic hate crimes ballooned by 41% in 2022. Now, when I read that stat, I immediately got quite suspicious because I thought, well, why is it citing hate crimes against 
LGBTQ plus people in 2022, why not 23? So I then went and looked at the ONS's statistics uh, on hate crimes based on sexual orientation. And needless to say, Nick, it won't surprise you to learn that they declined quite significantly in 2023 compared to 2022. Um, So to try and spin this as um, an urgent response to the mortal danger that LGBTQ people are in because of the spike in hate crimes against them overlooks the fact that actually hate crimes against members of those communities declined quite significantly in 2023. And surely even the increase was based on a radical expansion of the definition rather than some massive spike in hate against gay people. Yeah, I haven't looked into that, but quite possibly. Well, it's it's obvious. Um, Okay, well, do you think there should be such a scheme, though, or or that that should be allowed, or or what do you think? Well, it does seem a bit tough on um, people trying to get onto the housing ladder or uh, trying to get, you know, social housing in London. It's bad enough that they have to kind of line up behind, you know, asylum seekers. Now, you know, even when they've housed all the asylum seekers, they then have to line up behind LGBTQ plus people if they're not already members of those particular groups. I did make me wonder that um, could 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 like a white cishet male. Um, and by the way, I'm using that term because it's a term the other side use. I'm using it ironically. I'm not endorsing that particular concept. But could, a, could a white cishet male claim to be, you know, a um, uh, claim to identify as a woman, but to be a lesbian, so therefore only attracted to other women and get on the housing ladder that way? Yeah, very interesting question. Let's see how it develops. Well, I just wanted to do one more, Pete, well, because this is a good one. Weatherspoon's barman sacked for telling lesbian, God will forgive you on Pride weekend. So this guy, now he did happen to be autistic, Thomas Richardson, he just said that God would forgive him, which is quite a nice thing to say. Not quite true because it, she has to repent first. But he said God has forgiveness for everyone. And uh, when questioned why she had to apologize for being gay, he said maybe God will forgive you. I think apparently he was a good worker, got on well with everybody. That's how he was described. But he was sacked for this. And the judge's ruling, employment judge Martin Warren, said telling someone that God will forgive them or not for being gay is harassment on the grounds of sexual orientation. It is unwanted conduct that can reasonably be perceived as creating the prescribed environment. The same may be said of the comment. I'll get into this other comment in a minute. But why? He says one cannot simply ask employees to ignore homophobic insults because the person saying them is autistic. Well, why not? Because there's two things here. One, it discriminates him against against him as a Christian, if that's his belief. Two, it discriminates against him as an autistic person who can't help but just say true statements he believes. I mean, and as you often said, Toby, autistic people don't necessarily grasp the woke speech codes and nuances. And so it is discriminating against them to expect them to be woke. Now, why does that not mitigate against what he said? I don't understand that at all. It seems appalling to me. Yes, and I think um, I think this sounds like uh, a judgment that could be appealed in the Employment Appeal Tribunal um, because the judge acknowledged that he was autistic um, uh, but said, nevertheless, um, he wasn't unfairly dismissed, um, uh, even though you know his autism may have contributed to is breaching that speech code. And also saying to a gay person, God will forgive you. I mean, there are nastier, more explicit ways of being homophobic, aren't there? I mean, isn't that actually basically quite a nice thing to say? Very nice. Um, 
Very nice guy. And you know what he should do, Toby? He needs the free speech union. He should join the free speech union. They could take on this case and you can chuck in a few N-words while he's there. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works that. now. Um, <laughs> but he also said that uh, when asked about what he thought of gay people, he said, I'm fine with them. I just don't want the gay thing shoved down my throat. And I think we can all agree we'd rather not have the gay thing shoved down our throats, Toby. Um <laughs> I think I speak for many of us, except our gay listeners think, uh, who may be into that. But um, and that's I think if fine. I now, if I now, if, if if I now fire you as a contributor to this podcast, you wouldn't have a leg to stand on in the employment tribunal. Yeah, it'd be pretty tough to fire me because it's, it's half yeah. my <laughs> meant to be part half my that's company. So yeah. we're getting to a very complicated legal wrangle. Certainly, I'd hire the free speech union, <laughs> and you'd have so much integrity, you'd, you'd have to represent me against yourself. Classic Toby. <laughs> that would get be an absolute nightmare. Um. But yeah, of course, I, we welcome all our gay listeners. We do have gay listeners who who send me posts on X, and uh, we we don't know. We have some gay Christian listeners, so you know it's not as simple as between gay or Christian. But you know, it is it is complex. Do you have to repent? I don't know. I don't. I haven't read enough of the Bible. I'm only up to page eight, as listeners to the current thing will know. So don't ask me. But I just think this young man was uh, was he young? I think he was pretty young. Was unfairly treated. Twenty one. He was twenty one. Yeah. I'm fairly tweeted. Yeah, disappointing that it would happen at uh, Weatherspoons, given yeah. that we think of Weather Weatherspoons as a kind of oasis of kind of sanity based in an otherwise refuge. mad world. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of based refuges, I'm proposing a new section off the back of Pete Woke. I'm thinking about calling it Base Department, which comes from the sort of internet joke where you say, hello, Base Department, and it's like a meme. There's another sort of outdated meme I might use. Uh, and this is just a little acknowledgement of people who've said something based in the week. Could also call it peak based. It's different ideas. But I wanted to give a shout out to the founder of Lululemon, who said some women are too overweight to wear yoga pants. He just said, look, this is a, this is where our brand's gone wrong. He was uh, he resigned from the board in 2015 after blaming overweight female customers for a quality failing that resulted in its black leggings becoming see-through. And um, <laughs> this is Chip Wilson, by the way. And his point is just like, hey, we're not for everyone. I don't want people who eat McDonald's or drink Coke <laughs> wearing Lululemons. And of course, I like how offensive this is, but I also like that he's right about brands. You know, brands have to exclude things. That's what brands do. They say we are this and we're not this. That's a brand. You can't be totally inclusive of everyone. The weekly skeptic is not for woke people. So that's how you become a brand. So he's completely right that Lululemons are not for everyone. And I, I just thought that was quite based. Yeah, so my um, nomination for um, this new section this week is Boris Johnson, um, who wrote quite a good piece. Um, I think it was well. He 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 he's condemned the Metropolitan Police um, for mounting an investigation into Israel over alleged war crimes in Gaza. So Scotland Yard's Counterterrorism Police have launched an appeal for witnesses who are arriving in British airports, um, asking them to report allegations of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Um, and they've created these um, posters um, calling for anyone who has witnessed a war crime or a crime against humanity uh, to come forward and report them. Uh, although to be fair to the Met, I mean, Boris understandably thought this was um, ridiculous. Why is the Metropolitan Police trying to prosecute members of the IDF in the International Criminal Court for War Crimes. I mean, surely they should be um, uh, looking to prosecute crimes a little bit closer to home. Uh, perhaps he wouldn't be 
under you know witnessing a tsunami of crime um if they were um but um uh, in fairness to them they 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 they, in these posters they say that um they're also looking at um crimes committed by hamas on october 7th and if any witnesses have evidence to bring forward against members of hamas for things they did on october 7th they want to hear from them too but it did strike me as pretty extraordinary and i think right that boris uh, should call it out Okay, rare shout out to Boris there. Not not everyone's a fan, but that's our new section, base department. I also thought it was somewhat based that the Pope spoke out against uh, surrogate pregnancies, but it's a little bit complicated because, of course, a surrogate pregnancy could perhaps be a beautiful thing you do to help someone, but it can also be this thing where some rich couple just pays a mother and you never see a picture of her and she's kind of sidelined and it's become a kind of weird elite thing to get your designer baby or something. So it is quite interesting because Pope's normally quite woke, but he... He said he said that um, he was completely against surrogate motherhood. That was pretty interesting. But that is Pete Woke and yeah. our new Pete Base Base Department section. So now let's go and review the reviews. So a couple of reviews about last week's episode. Let's just get into those. So Admiral Tom, who is an admirable guy, I'm sure, says this is the one. My very favourite listen. I look forward to every episode and haven't had a dud yet. Nick and Toby are both amusing, entertaining and informative. Highly recommended. However, I am somewhat concerned about Nick's fairly frequent references to his depression and mental health issues. It's good that he does feel able to speak, but recent comments about wanting to kill himself are highly alarming and very, very sad. Yeah, we've addressed that at the start. I did get into some graphic detail about that. I was feeling totally hopeless over the Christmas period. It was a really weird feeling. And when you're out of it, you go, that was weird. And you think, was it was it that bad? And why was I depressed? And then I got into the health anxiety, which is so much worse. Like I say, that you wish for the depression, but that could be an illusion because when you're in it, the depression is pretty bad. So yeah, we've addressed that. Thank you, Admiral Admiral Tom. I can't say it still. Um, yes, I'm feeling better this week. What, what more can I say, really? Um, maybe I need to be on a heavy, heavy medication. Atlas Shrugged 57, Iron Rand reference, says, especially good. These are all five stars, of course. A thoroughly informative and entertaining podcast that often has me hooting with laughter that is no mean feat considering the subject matter amounts to the cataloging, to cataloging the slow death of Western civilization through bonkers wokery. I'm lucky that I get to listen during my commute, skirting the otherworldly splendor of Dartmoor. The contrast between what remains of the beauty of England and the lunacy that has infected our lawless cities and failing institutions could hardly be more stark. I've been a fan of Toby for years, but only discovered Nick in the last two years or so through headliners. What an absolute ledge. Keep up the good work, guys. You are on the right side of history. Thank you very much. Great review. Actually, there was a story about Dartmoor this week about rangers on Dartmoor having to wear body cams, which seemed like a perfect decline of England's story. I mean, the idea that you're having to wear body cam. One of them had been threatened with a mallet, so I had to start wearing a body cam even on Dartmoor. Um, so those were a couple of reviews. Uh, anything you want to add, Toby? I feel like I was going to quote from this letter briefly. So I got a very... Yeah, why, don't you, why don't you quote from Jane's letter? Yeah, yes. I got a lovely letter from Jane here. And it's very long and I'm not going to read it all. And I really appreciate it. And overall, my message was I really appreciate it. And thank you very much, Jane. But I do have some some critiques of it, which is just for fun, really. But not at poking fun at her, but at me. But she's saying that um, shouldn't I get something from people enjoying the podcast. And that's interesting. Few are able to achieve that kind of reach and connection with others, never mind every single week. Yeah. And she, and she's sort of saying, shouldn't you get something from that? Which is interesting because you, you, you don't actually really, 
it's it's great to be able to do this and connect with people and 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 give people some hope about the culture war, even if I'm struggling on a personal level. And I think that's that's great, but it doesn't necessarily help your mental health or physical. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, like I mean, it's it's kind of the difference between making something and listening to it. If if I, I listen to Beach Boys, it's not the same experience. They, they are the greatest band ever, but it's not the same experience as Brian Wilson making it and all the struggles he had. He had all sorts of mental health struggles, of course, and other things. And it's like, I don't think really, I don't know. I'm, I don't think about that more, whether whether doing some work like this, because it's if you feel like you're doing good work, should that actually impact you and and make you feel better? I'm not sure. And and Christians have also said to me, well, if Nick's a proper Christian, why is he, doesn't he feel better from that? And that's also a good question. I can't, annoyingly can't find the exact quote that she made that I wanted to reference there. But there's another funny bit where she talks about, I say funny, I don't know why, it's not really funny, but she's talking about the listeners and... She says, imagine each of us maybe stacking the dishwasher with the kids off to school. That's funny because I couldn't bring myself to use my dishwasher in six years at my old flat because I was intimidated by it. And I've used it in my new place. So that's progress for me. She talks about kids. But you see, the problem is, James, I will never have kids. So that's another depressing thing. Then she says, looking forward to coffee with you and Toby. I don't drink coffee or pottering in beloved gardens. I'll never have a garden. You know, and she talks about taking a dog for a walk. I'll never have a dog talking about coming back from dull days and tiresome offices. And it is good that I don't have to go to tiresome office, although I do go to the GB office. So it's quite funny that some of all the things she listed were things that I'll never do. And p- partly my my sort of weird mental health is because I'm completely out of the normal world. It's just how I am, right? And I have no well, garden or dog you, or family and never will have. Well, maybe she means... Um public gardens like you could go you could i mean you do run don't you around ali pali and other places and presumably get some satisfaction from from that um why couldn't you have a dog um i think that actually might be quite a good idea completely unfeasible it would it would die in minutes um i mean <laughs> look it's great that that about cat cats are more independent yeah look it's great that, that that she that our listeners are enjoying it and while they're in the garden and all these things it's all great and it's it's amazing i just i don't know it will never be me i mean i'll never be normal and have those things and then maybe that's the tragedy of of nick but i'm i'm so glad that i actually am able to you know it's great that people are able to get something out of the podcast i just don't know it just doesn't seem to have made a, a difference to my mental health struggles, which is, do you know what? I'll say one thing about this. I've rambled a bit there. I'll say one thing about this. I used to think of this for years as some sort of failing on my part. That's kind of like, like I'm just the same as my brother or my parents, just that, but I've sort of gone, taken six wrong turns. And, and I just, if I just do all the right therapy or enough exercise or something, and exercise does definitely help, but what I started to realize recently is that this is just something that's part of being me. It's not that I'm a total victim, but it's kind of like Eckhart Tolle says, who I like, you know, if you, all these health anxiety thoughts, for example, am I actually doing it or is it something just happening to you? Why would you make yourself suffer for days in total misery if I was doing it myself? It seems very strange. Is it actually something that's happening to you? And I started to think recently, this is just something, it's just part of who I am. Not that it's insoluble or you can't, it might be insoluble, but you can, you can make an impact on it. But maybe it's just part of who I am, right? Because if I was like my brother, I'd just be him. I would be someone who doesn't seem to have these mental health issues. You know what I mean? It's like it's not like I've sort of I'm making it up, or that I'm just a normal person who's not trying hard enough. It's just kind of part of who I am. And then perhaps those people couldn't have a podcast with over a million downloads, and that's just part of the deal. What do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting 
way of looking at it, and it sounds quite positive. Um, but it also echoes some of the um, debate around neurodiversity and other disabilities. Um, the neurodiverse claiming that they don't want to be cured, they don't want to be treated because being neurodiverse is part of who they are. And so even though it comes with a lot of disadvantages and makes life more of a struggle, um, nevertheless, if they were to change those things about them and become more quote-unquote normal, then they wouldn't be who they are. They'd be somebody different. Um, and it, it came up when um, what the Beast um, uh, said that he wanted to fund cataract operations I think it was, wasn't it, um, to cure blindness. And a lot of kind of um, advocacy groups on behalf of the blind complained that he was portraying blindness as a kind of um, unqualified handicap, um, which it would be a good thing to cure people of. Uh, whereas, in fact, some, some, some people who are blind think that there are various benefits they enjoy in virtue of being blind, and they don't want to... Be, you know, they don't want their sight to be restored, so they're more like other people. At least, not all of them do. Um, anyway, so I think I think that's an mm. interesting perspective, and sounds to me like um, quite a positive way of looking. Well, at that it. sounds too extreme for me. Of course, blind people should be cured. And to be honest, if I could keep all my positive sides, like creativity and all this, and sensitivity to certain things, and you know, being able to play guitar and think of funny things to say and stuff. If I could keep all that and not have depression, of course I would do that in a heartbeat. And I also sort of agree with Andrew Tate that depression doesn't exist in a sense that you could argue it's your life circumstances are actually bad. It's something you actually need to fix. I do think there's something in that. I also think in another sense, it's always existed. Melville talked about the hypos, as I, I think I said in Moby Dick, hypochondria, melancholia have always existed. To some degree, it's an existential problem. Some people are just more aware of, 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 of these problems and others some people don't think about death they don't think about they don't think about existential questions they just seem to get on with it a lot of people don't even have an internal monologue apparently they're just basically like animals so you know i'm not quite going as far as saying that Toby, because i would certainly want to cure it if i could i'm saying something a little different which is i think there's always been an extra layer of me blaming myself or just imagining you're just one self-help course away from solving it but actually just as I sometimes think if I was like my brother or someone, I'd have three kids and have a normal job because I would, because he hasn't done something. He may have overcome challenges, but he hasn't done something amazing to do that. I think that's just natural to him because it's natural to me to have done a decade of stand-up comedy and to have a podcast. Most people could never do stand-up comedy or have a podcast like this. So I think those are just natural to me, but equally natural to me is weird mental health stuff. Doesn't that, But I'm somewhere in between like the fatalism of that. Like I'm, I don't want to say that means I can't tackle it because I still will continue to try and tackle it. But I also think it just seems to be something that goes on. Simon Evans said something interesting to me that if you have a fast mind that's good for comedy and commentary, maybe it's also going to torment you with this health stuff. You know, I just went round for days and days every five seconds. You probably don't have anything. That, no, you do. It's that for like four days. It's horrific. So, but that is, that's just part mm. of my overactive mind. I think, I think if maybe if you do value um, your work as a comedian, as a podcaster, as a broadcaster, and you know that it is contingent upon these various shortcomings, um, uh, you might be reluctant to address those shortcomings for fear that you'll be less entertaining, you'll, you'll offer less 
in a professional capacity. And in a way, I suppose that's placing the interests, the needs of others above your own. Um, it always it always struck me, and it's always become a cliche to say it, that John Cleese was a lot funnier before he underwent therapy. Um, and somehow his being funny, um, that kind of slightly manic quality, that kind of um, barely contained anger, rage, just always bubbling away beneath the surface, obviously linked to childhood trauma and various other problems. When he when he underwent years of therapy, I think he married his therapist at one stage, um, and seemingly cured himself of those afflictions, he ceased to be funny. And I think, you know, you owe it to your audience. If you have a duty to your fans and your audience, um, those you entertain, those who cherish and love you, um, not to cure yourself of these disabilities, however difficult they may make your life, because if you do, you'll become pretty boring. I have to say, I reject that. I've heard that idea, but I've rejected it. We talked about that before on the podcast, and I've rejected that idea because I don't, one, I don't believe it because I was funny when I was 10 and I was the most popular person in the class and I was very confident. And I didn't have the same extent of mental troubles. I had some and I was already funny, so I don't particularly believe it. And two, I would make that sacrifice. These days, I'm very serious anyway and constantly try and be serious and not funny. So I, would, I wouldn't mind that these days, but I don't really believe in that. But if it, I'd take the being happier at this point, but I don't really believe in that anyway. But even if I did, I'd take the being happier. But I, I don't quite mean that. I mean, I, I just think it's just, just part of my personality. I mean, it, it's more simple. It, what's annoying is there are people like Carl Benjamin who are incredibly smart and productive and just don't are just not neurotic. They just have low neurosis because he's done a personality test and I made him do it. You know, and people Andrew Dawes is very productive. I think he has maybe some things. We all have some things, but you're less neurotic than me. But you're still smart and you're still questioning things. Like you know, some people are just thick or ignorant, right? And God bless them. But um, some people are, are smart and therefore they question things and they get into certain existential pickles. What's annoying is there are smart people out there who question things, who don't seem to be neurotic at all. And they're just lucky, I think. Mm. Maybe I shouldn't hold you uh, up as a picture of mental health because you're, you're basically <laughs> working yourself into the ground to avoid ever having a, a, a dark thought, as, I, as far as I can understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, someone wants to describe the effect, someone who was taking Prozac wants to describe the effect of taking, you know, a reuptake inhibitor as making it very difficult to introspect it kind of short circuits the process of introspection. So when you start kind of embarking on one of these kind of catastrophizing spirals, as you seem to do when you think you've got something wrong with you when you haven't, um, it stops that. It short circuits that process. So you just don't, you don't, you, you don't ever really go very far down that rabbit hole. You kind of, uh, that sounds like it could be quite effective for you. Yeah, do you know what? That does sound good. And someone else said the exact same to me, who who was a sort of seemingly normal person who I know who actually has health anxiety. And he said to me um, that when he was on one of these medications, which he did take, he would think, oh, what if that's, he'd think, oh, what, what if that's a thing? Oh, it's probably not. And then, but then he wouldn't go beyond that. It, it would stop the next thought, which would be, oh, but what if it is? Like, apparently he said that it would, it would stop that next thought, which is fascinating. Like, where you in health anxiety, you tend to go, yeah, but what if it is, what if it isn't? It just goes on forever. He said it would stop mm. the next thought. He would end on, you know, it probably isn't or something. It would just, and it would end. Isn't that, and it's very much what you're describing mm. there. 
the interactive or mm. the spiraling process would just end. How yeah. fascinating. I suppose what, what the hell the, is that doing with your brain? How is it doing? Yeah, that? the loss, I mean, yeah, the, the implication is that if you do take a serotonin reuptake inhibitor and it's effective, you do lose a certain degree of agency. And that, I suppose, has its own drawbacks. Um, but maybe... But, the benefits that way. But costs. wasn't the serotonin thing debunked? I mean, it was. Debu- you know, I always thought it sounded dodgy. This chemical imbalance thing, and it was recently debunked. This was this was quite a big news story. And of course, Andrew Tate was like, "See, I was right." Wasn't that debunked? The chemical imbalance stuff. Yeah, I think. I think. Well, I, I, I think there's which is a different thing, maybe. But the, I think the the it's it's. I think people don't the theory as to why drugs like. Um, Prozac can be very effective for some people. Um, uh, I think one particular theory hasn't been debunked, but has been challenged recently by new research evidence. But nonetheless, they can be effective for some people, even if we don't quite understand why. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll cover all this in our spin-off new mental health podcast, But um, (laughs) which for now is just a joke, by the way. But um, it's just lastly on that, maybe I'll say, what will I say lastly on that? I don't know. I'm feeling better this week. I've got back to my gym, which was a big, of course, there's no brain of things as well. Like it was Christmas. I was on my own. I had a virus. I was ill. I didn't have my gym, which I do my fairly hard strength workouts, which you you almost don't have time to feel depressed or you're too knackered. And then, you know, I wasn't working as much and I definitely have vitamin D deficiency as most people do in this country, especially because I don't go in the sun for aforementioned reasons. So, and it's winter. So of course there are all those things. Even at the best of times, my life is basically joyless. It's, I, I possibly have anhedonia where you can't experience joy, but it's basically work. And then I come home and watch some bollocks on the telly. And it really isn't, it is basically quite joyless. But I think it, I think anyone would find it tough because I have no, I don't live with anyone. There's no dog. There's no wife or anything, no family. And it's just a kind of, it is quite an introspective. As he says in Taxi Driver, a man shouldn't dedicate his life to morbid self-attention. Which it was a line that always stood out to me as something the character wouldn't be able to say, but but maybe that's the big problem. But anyway, we've got probably done enough on my mental health. But th- I just want to thank everyone for their great responses. And if you do want to buy me a coffee, it's buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. And it has pretty much all gone on medical bills. But hopefully next time I'll put it back into our new business and things like that. And it all, it's all the same anyway, isn't it? It's all me and keeping me going, which is the business. So it doesn't really matter. But massively appreciated. Thanks, guys. It means a lot. And was very touched by that. And is there anything you would like to promote, Toby? Well, I was I was just going to, we're about to publish a piece in the Daily Skeptic by a pathologist, a retired pathologist. And uh, he actually references um, some research done using UK Biobank, which is a resource involving tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. So the research it gives rise to is, is pretty robust. And a recent publication from the Biobank identified the seven lifestyle factors that are associated with good mental health. So these are never smoke, moderate alcohol consumption, moderate alcohol consumption. So that's interesting. So some alcohol consumption, according to this Biobank research, is better than none. A good night's sleep, exercise, not be sedentary, social contact and a healthy diet. And um, certainly exercise, I think, is is very important. Um, and when I was um, cancelled in 2018 and lost half a stone in a week and um, felt for a time pretty isolated and friendless and under siege, um, 
exercising every day quite vigorously, I found incredibly helpful. And I found that kind of that helped me not give in to despair, not become depressed. Um, so I think it may be that you, you, you didn't exercise enough over Christmas, um, which is why you um, plunged into depression. Could be that simple. I think exercise is, is, is really important. Wasted a whole episode, wasted everyone's money. You know, I just needed to... <laughs> I did get back from my run the other day because it was the first one back after being ill. Managed to crank out three and a half miles. Not bad. Then I got back to my strength training. Yeah, I'm going to attempt football again now. So maybe I'll be fine. But yeah, I look at that list. I don't smoke. I haven't drank for a bit. I do drink sometimes. I've quit now. Don't sleep well, though. Exercise I do. Not sedentary. Social life non-existent. Diet dodgy and don't sleep. So I've got struggling on a few of them. But I think there's a not, I mean, social life, that's a bit of a, you can't, it encompasses quite a lot, doesn't it? Just to stick that in one category. Yes, yeah, social co- social contact. contact. That's important, yeah, not right. being socially isolated. I was very isolated over Christmas. You do go insane. Oh, well. Um, do you want to plug something, Toby? Uh, just if you've, you know, you've heard about the um, uh, success the Free Speech Union enjoyed with Carl Borgneal, please, um you never know something like that might happen to you you never think it's going to until it does so join the free speech union www.freespeechunion.org um uh at forward slash join um and if you enjoy the content of the daily skeptic please make a regular monthly donation for as little as five pounds a month you can become a regular below the line commentator and quick shout out to go and listen to my other podcast the current thing we just interviewed or i just interviewed dr paul morland who's an expert on demographics about the birth rate collapse fascinating episode and there's also one before that where i was interviewed by rory and that's actually done one of our best i'm here getting all these massive guests and all these great guests but actually one of the best results we've had in terms of audio downloads was just me being interviewed by rory so Maybe I should be even more self-indulgent and go on about my problems more. Um, I don't know. One, one final thing, Nick. Um, we, we're trying to find a date with the Hippodrome to do another live weekly skeptic show. We, we're homing in on February 12th. There'll be more information about that in next week's episode. And we're also hoping to launch um, our new podcasting and events company shortly. And you'll be able to buy tickets by going there. Yeah, that's going to be big. But yeah, the event, hopefully the 12th, but it's Chinese New Year, so you can't, we can't do the Chinese meal idea. We might have to do the drinks. We're working on what to do afterwards. Maybe people should send in suggestions, but it's going to be tricky. We're going to do something after, right, for the VIPs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. we're looking at probably yeah, February 12th. But... Could, be, could be drinks in the rooftop bar, which is actually very nice and difficult to get into if you're not on the list. Oh, there you go. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's was supposed to be a short episode, which I completely failed at. But some people love the long episodes, most people. So there's another long episode for you. And thank you for all your support once again. And until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. <laughs>